You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since TMC, we are back. Uh, well, at least half of us is. Uh, this week, I'm joined by the, the Prince of Pennsylvania, he's been dubbed, by the large William, who's not, uh, he's conspicuously uh, absent this week. He's got some things going down. He's got to take care of. Nothing serious. Nobody flip out or anything. It's nothing like that. But he uh, does have a few things he's got to take care of in the interim. And uh, our good friend from the, the great state of Penn's. Pennsylvania has joined us, Todd. Uh, Todd, well, you don't need to say your last name. We'll just say Todd, the Prince from Pennsylvania. There we go. That works. Uh, that works. <laughs> so, hey, Todd, how you doing? I'm doing all right, brother. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. It's always good to have you on, Todd. As some of you may know, he writes for the blog. He primarily is the only one that writes for the blog at this point, but he uh, he's always good to have on the show. We like to say backup, but you know, if it was up to us, we'd probably have him on every week. Uh, probably if it was up to him, he might be on every week, but that that would be a bit of a chore. It is, as we all know, it's become quite a chore to uh, to be on the show because it's just been difficult getting schedules together and stuff. But we're we're getting there. We're getting better. So we're working on that. We'll get that straightened out. Anyway, to uh, jump on the other side of things, I'm trying to adjust volumes as I go here. I haven't recorded with this setup in quite some time, so. Todd was having some trouble hearing me. I'm having some trouble hearing me. The recording doesn't look like it's taking, but I think it is. But they, yeah, everything will be fine. I think we'll be okay. Um, I want to first uh, kind of say, uh, well, a couple things. This is our Diabolic DVD episode. Uh, we're doing two picks. Will picked, actually. Sadly, he couldn't be on to do them, but we got to kind of move on because we're, we're sponsored by them. So this is uh, Pieces from 1982 and Burial Ground from 1981. So some early 80s uh, uh, classic VHS Havra for everybody this week. So I think uh, people with fond memories of Video Store uh, will probably enjoy this show quite a bit. <laughs> uh, even those who don't have those memories so will probably enjoy it because uh, I think if you love these types of movies, uh, you'll know what we're talking about here in a little bit. Anyway, um, 
The other thing, uh, we're still trying to get the uh, <clears throat> American Hunter, Lethal Hunter. Uh, I think it's going by Lethal Hunter on the Indiegogo campaign. Yes. Uh, trying to get uh, Lethal Hunter up and going on DVD. We put out uh, with a conjunction with OMG Entertainment and several other folks. It's kind of a group effort, including the listeners in the Facebook group, um, to get the final score out on DVD. Uh, we had a lot of fun putting that out. Uh, we didn't make a dime off of it. It should be said uh, we, it was all put out for the love of putting movies out that aren't available. Uh, it's just something we love doing. We got an opportunity to do a commentary track, which we're very proud of. We had a lot of fun doing that. We're looking forward to doing another one. So we're about, uh, I think we're about seven hundred and something dollars off the goal right now. Uh, yeah, we're eighty-one percent. I think it's seven 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 hundred seventy-four euro as of right now. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Euro, that's right. Um, so, you know, we're a little off. We've got about seven days to go. I'm going to try to get this show up as tonight as we record it. I'm going to try to get it up right after we get done recording it. So, if not tonight, it'll be out the next day. But that gives us about, let's just say roughly five to six days, five to seven days to kind of get it fully uh, functioned and fund funded. And uh, that's a lot of Fs. And uh, get it out there. So, because uh, it, it is a lot of fun. We reviewed the film a while back. Um Maybe not as crazy as Final Score, but in some ways just as crazy <laughs> and interesting as Final Score. And again, it'll be a chance for this movie to be out. And, and we're just doing this. This has really kind of become just a thing that we really enjoy doing. And uh, we hope to keep doing it for as long as you know listeners will have us and things like that. So please support it if you haven't. Uh, trust me. You'll, you'll watch the movie. It's a great uh, crowd movie, just like Final Score, if you haven't seen that. So. And don't forget, you can still pick up Final Score at uh, DiabolicDVD.com as well. So that kind of ties into what we're doing this week. So, Indeed. Without further ado, let's get into a little bit of what we've been watching, as we always open with. Uh, I know it's been a few weeks. Like I said, hopefully we'll get the schedule straightened out. Todd's going to be around for a little bit. Even if Will comes back, I think Todd's going to be around for a little bit to help us out with some things, hopefully. Sure. And, uh, yeah, we're going to try to stabilize to use another Indonesian uh, action movie as a <laughs> colloquialism there we're going to try to stabilize the show a little bit bring peter o'brien in to stabilize his mother but uh he might be available <laughs> yeah he might be yeah uh but what have you been watching lately uh recently i've uh, been watching um, i'll go through these pretty fast um early spring uh from yasujiro ozu uh oh yeah it's really really good as is pretty much everything that i've seen by this guy um it's a little bit longer than uh, than I'm used to with some of his stuff, and it also suffers from not having Satsuko Hara in it, mm. uh, which is a big, big, big plus for me. Uh, and also that the the, uh, the main character is kind of a he's a bit of a dick, but I mean everything else that's that's Ozu is in there, and it's just phenomenal. Uh, yeah. He's pretty talented guy, that Ozu guy. What's that? He was pretty talented, that Ozu fella. Yeah, he had a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah that was uh that was really really good i wasn't I, I always get confused because they have that late spring early spring but they came at different i think they were like late spring came out before early spring and then uh it, it's one of those things where it always confuses me but uh, yeah no this was uh this was pretty damn good uh and it's on criterion i believe it's in one of the eclipse sets nice uh, i don't know i got it from netflix but mm-hmm. um so i watched that uh i finally caught up with the uh the new Fantastic Four film uh, that Josh Trank, uh, I think, was the guy that directed it. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty 
bland and vanilla and i mean it's not terrible it's it's entertaining enough for for being uh relatively short for a superhero movie i think it was only like an hour and 45 minutes Uh um but it's just there's there's no real life to this there's no real personality to the the characters which is kind of sad considering you know that they kick-started the marvel universe uh these characters did yeah um and of course, as usual, they they can't get off the Doctor Doom train, and even that is just kind of head scratching the way that they handled it. Um, it's not bad; it's worth a look. But is it something I'm ever going to go back to? Hell no. Hmm. Um, I uh, rewatched uh, Antonioni's La Ventura, which is uh, really really good. It's not an easy movie, but I don't think that Antonioni's a really easy filmmaker right. uh, because he's he, you know deals so much with uh, people being distanced and um not being able to connect he's a very ex- existentialist uh sort of filmmaker mm-hmm. uh but this one is it, it's phenomenal um as is everything that i've seen from him uh but it's really something that you kind of have to experience it's, it's almost kind of like a picnic at hanging rock but in italy yeah uh, and, and without little you know without like schoolgirls. yeah um it's a good analogy so, yeah, yeah, yeah. there <laughs> you go is. Uh, I watched, uh, let's see, the two films for this week. I finally caught up with The Duke of Burgundy. Oh, yeah. Um, which uh, I was really impressed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really like this uh, this movie. It looks great. It's got a great story. It's got great acting in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, all around. I know some folks really didn't like it. I don't understand why, but I guess, you know, different strokes on that one. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I was really, really impressed with The Duke of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go back to that one, absolutely. Uh, watched a movie for review on the blog, but that'll be six weeks down the road, so I'll just skip that one. <laughs> um, uh, to, to rewatch The Land of Time Forgot from 1975, the, uh, Amicus, uh, who's that, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation. Um, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty much, you know, as, as advertised, it's got the really puppety kind of stiff dinosaurs that you, you either love or hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it's got Doug McClure being Doug McClure, uh, and I was actually kind of surprised this time around that I noticed that uh, Anthony Ainley uh, is in this one, who played the Master on Doctor Who way back in I think it was like the late seventies, early eighties. So it was kind of cool to see him as a, a German uh, a German baddie. Um, but it's good. It's a you know pretty good movie. Uh, I think it'd be good for um, for the kids to to check out. You know. Kind of get into some uh, some high adventure stuff. Um, I finally caught up with uh, Dark Was the Night because I heard a lot of good stuff about this one. Um, the one with uh, oh good lord, what's the guy's name? Uh, Gay Gay? No, I was thinking of I was thinking of a different movie. Um, I don't know who directed this, but uh, this is a, a pretty good uh, monster movie. It's got um, oh, what's his name Conroy or whatever from the guy that was in Jackass and all that stuff. Oh. Yeah, you know I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. He's actually got some acting chops. I'll tell you what, and uh, I really appreciated this. It was kind of like an old school kind of uh, monster movie setup with the, that kind of everyman hero that we don't really see much anymore. Um, you know, kind of just simple guy doing his thing. Um, a little bit maudlin, a little bit too maudlin in certain in certain points for me. And I think the the very ending stumbles a bit, um, but. Outside of that, this was really good. Oh, and the, the the monster design is not really all that outstanding, I don't think. 
but outside of that, uh, it's it's pretty damn good and absolutely worth uh, worth checking out, picking up. Um, yeah, I heard, then, I heard some good things about that one actually. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely worth seeing, man. I know Jakey, I think uh, was really into it too. Nice, Jakey from Cult of Muscle. Um, and then I finally caught up with uh, Dario Argento's Mother of Tears, uh, for better or worse. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know that that one got lambasted a little bit when it came out, but it's not really. It's not the worst thing. It's absolutely not the worst thing he's done. <laughs> no, um, no, <laughs> no. Dracula is, is, is yeah. in my book, but uh, yeah. but this was this was okay right up until and right up until the ending part there. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. It really, really just takes a nosedive. I almost found myself falling asleep because there was just nothing going on until everything's going on. Yeah, um, it's almost like he's like, oh, wait a minute, I got to start. I got to start explaining things. Yeah, yeah, We're running out of time uh, here. <laughs> But it's uh, it, it wasn't bad. I liked that you know he he at least made an attempt to try and tie up loose ends and you know kind of tie up the trilogy, the three mothers trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it's uh, it's got a nice little build up, a nice little story going on. There's some wicked gore in it. Yeah. Um, and some really really odd bits like that fucking monkey <laughs> uh, that just uh, out of the blue. Um, but I guess that's better than a chimpanzee with a razor. So yeah. Uh, but it's not bad. It's yeah, it's another one that's just kind of worth a, a one-time watch. I think at, at this point, uh, yeah, would it grow on me? I, I don't know, but um, it's not. Yeah, it's it, it's. I don't know what what kind of uh, backhanded praise it is to say that it's not the worst thing he's ever done. But that's the only way I could think of to describe it. On yeah, I, th- I think that's most people's backhanded praise of that one, though. I mean, yeah. Most people, I think people were really hard on it when it first came out, but I think as time's gone on, people have kind of, kind of warmed they up really, to it a little bit. They really, really were, and, and I got I got interested in seeing it finally uh, after, I think it was Video Watchdog did a really lengthy article on it, or a roundtable on it uh, with a bunch of different people. I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting, some mm-hmm. of the things that they were saying, so mm-hmm. I figured I'd check it out, and it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, if you like uh, Argento, it's consistent with... Most yeah. of what he's been doing, most of his career, it's just it's also consistent, sadly, with most of the back end of his career. Yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and that's uh, that's pretty much my list. All right, I only got a couple things. I probably watched more stuff in between uh, the last time we recorded this show and what I'm talking about now, but I can't recall. I can only recall two things right now, and I haven't been keeping up with my materials as well as i normally do i haven't been i've just kind of been uh well to be honest with you it's been busy so i just haven't uh <laughs> i don't always go to the letterbox when i should and uh but I, I got a few things i watched a couple things that we'll be talking about in another episode of this show um but we'll get to that uh i watched let me uh let me see here let me pull up my this is just for good time's sake. Let me pull up my letterbox diary. I'll pull that up here to make sure. I think one of these things I've talked about on the show. I think uh, Last Man on the Moon. I don't think I talked about that. This is about uh, one of the last astronauts, uh, the actual NASA astronauts, to actually get on the moon, um, and kind of his story, where he came from, and everything. It's it's interesting. It's kind of a bittersweet tale in a weird way and kind of gets into the you know the fact that we kind of dropped doing that i don't know if i talked about that maybe i did i don't feel like i did but maybe i, I don't did. i don't remember hearing it yeah watch the do-over the netflix adam sandler movie i wish i could do that over because that was pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> it had a few moments uh i enjoyed 
bits and pieces of the Ridiculous Six because it was so over the top like comedy was. I mean, there was a lot of fart jokes. I mean, there was a lot of really just like very, um, well, adolescent humor. It was very much what it was. The do-over really doesn't know what it is. It feels like it's uh, one of those movies that Sandler makes where he uses it as an excuse to travel with his buddies and kind of just hang out and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit of an action hero slash comedian slash cancer survivor slash I don't know. It, it's it's really kind of all over the map. And uh, David Spade's not very good in it. He's kind of like the straight man. And he's I think David Spade's funny, but I don't think he's very funny in this. And, and uh, I thought maybe them two together little bit of action plus paula Patton was in it. i thought there'd be a few funny moments uh that's all i paula got was a few Patton's not bad no no she's not bad uh, there was a few funny moments but that's about it it's not worth watching it's not very good at all uh tab hunter confidential this is about uh of course uh cult actor tab hunter he, he was a big star at one point uh closeted homosexual throughout most of his career due to well, not that this doesn't still happen in Hollywood, due to the fact that he was box office uh, gold for a while, uh, he could not really come out with his true sexuality. So you know they would have you know people he was quote unquote dating Natalie uh, Wood, people like that. You know he would have these beards and things like that, and he you know he had to live a he was content with living that lifestyle because he was happy to be in movies and stuff. Uh, uh, but it kind of gets into that, and I mean th- this is a gentleman. He's he's quite a, he's he's still in pretty good shape and still looks great. I mean he's in his mid eighties now and he he looks fantastic man he he has aged incredibly well and uh still pretty active and um he tells great stories i'm sure he's got even better stories that you know he might not want to tell because he seems like a really polite gentleman Mm -hmm. i'm sure he's got some really nice juicy stories about hollywood and its golden era and stuff and there's a lot there's a lot in here about him and tony perkins uh who had a very passionate love relationship which some people don't know about Uh, some people uh, might think Tony was uh, or Anthony Perkins. I think Anthony Perkins was more bisexual than anything. But you know, uh, again, back in those days in the fifties, you couldn't really come out because it would have been the end of your career. There's some argument that uh, some of our big Hollywood leading men that make twenty million dollars a year might still be that way, and there still is this uh, taboo that if you come out, you might not get the uh, the big opening, uh, which is really sad when you think about it. Now that we're sixty years plus on, and it seems like we've moved on from that, but who knows? I, I don't know if, uh, sadly, I don't know if America, for instance, is ready for that. So, anyway, not to get into all that, but uh, watch the resurrection resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. This is pretty good. I mean, I, I think a lot of the stuff with Jake is uh, interesting. Uh, although I do, he does wear on me after a while with his pity parties. Uh, not to say that there isn't some seriously stuff wrong with Jake the Snake Roberts, but uh, after a while he can be very frustrating the only thing i didn't like about this is it very much felt like an infomercial for ddp yoga <laughs> and uh, i think that's great there's a program out there for some of these guys that works and that's fantastic that's that's terrific it's just that uh you know i could i could not i, I felt like i was really getting sold to for every now and then so but scott hall's in here too so if you're a wrestling fan uh it's kind of fun to see these old timers and uh see him trying to get better because uh wrestling is a tough life and a lot of these guys end up hooked on substances and uh they, is, it, is that like a, an espn doc or is that a no this one i think is uh i don't know what it is i think uh i know jake i know i mean i know uh, diamond Dallas page and his partner actually shot the film okay. so i think that they may have started out with this being a ddp yoga type infomercial or just you know some stuff 
Because when they meet Jake the Snake, unless he's selling it, now this is the wrestling world, so you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in terrible shape. I mean, he can't do anything. Uh, he's got a one of those rotund old man bellies. One of those bellies, but you know, you see if, if you come to the south, you see those guys by the grill who are drinking the beer in a koozie, and uh, they have like what looks like an inner tube around their midsection, but their legs are about as big as a pencil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he's built like that, and he he he's in terrible terrible shape. He he's still doing drugs and all this stuff, and they get him. In the course of the film, they get him straightened out somewhat, and he, he looks great. I mean, he seems cleaned up. He has a few relapses like he will, or like you would, I guess, if you're you know, under under the type of abuse he's been doing. But they kind of get into Scott Hall's thing. It's kind of infamous thing where he showed up, and he mixed his medications and his alcohol up, and uh, he made a public appearance. They get into Jake the Snake's public appearance, too, where he whipped his uh, snake out, so to speak, and uh, <laughs> got in a little bit of trouble there. So anyway, it just kind of gets into all that and all this, the trouble these guys have had. And, you know, Jay, uh, DDP, he feels like he's kind of paying them back because Jake kind of got him over back in the day helping him out. Because Diamond Dallas Page is an interesting story in the annals of wrestling because he really didn't attain superstardom until he was probably in his mid-40s or early 40s, uh, which is kind of odd. I mean, he was really a manager slash personality who kind of turned into a wrestler and was good on the mic, which he says he learned from Jake. And, uh, you know, he had a great finishing move, the diamond cutter, you know, great hand uh, signature with that. and So it all kind of came together for him. And uh, he's one of these kind of people that believe you never give up. And I think that's why his program is making some money and doing well for him because he's he's got that attitude. Anyway, it's interesting. Uh, I, I just, like I said, I feel like it's a bit of a sell. So be careful there. A few more things. I watched Pawn Sacrifice. This is a, well, it's supposed to be a theatrical film. It was on Amazon Prime. Uh, Toby Maguire, Lee F. Schreiber. Uh, the story of Bobby Fischer, who in this film is a true asshole. Uh, uh, and uh, Boris, uh, I can't remember Boris's last name, so forgive me. Any of our Russian listeners who can't understand me right now. <laughs> the uh, the kind of great uh, chess battles they had. Uh, this is directed by Edward Zwick, so I kind of expected a kind of entertaining hollywood story but it's kind of boring the acting's pretty good but it's it's pretty stoic otherwise i guess you know doing chess and making chess exciting isn't easy but uh if i was going to watch a bobby fisher movie again i would probably watch uh, either the documentary on bobby fisher or the search for bobby fisher which is a better film that bobby fisher is only kind of like a uh background character there or a background kind of plot device but it's a better film than this um, the identity theft of Mitch Mustaine, not Dave Mustaine. I know we were talking about Dave off the air. <laughs> uh, hello, me. Uh, <laughs> meet the real me. Um, this is about uh, Arkansas quarterback who – it's really best, best left unsaid because it's kind of hard to explain the story, but he kind of started for Arkansas. He went 8-0. He got into it with a coach. They benched him, and he pretty much never played football again. <laughs> so – uh, it's pretty interesting, and he was like one of the most highly recruited high school football quarterbacks of all time. So it's just it's just one of these weird things where everything seemed to be going great, and then it all just kind of fell apart, uh, all because of some uh, comments that were made in the press and things. So well, and then I watched Jocko, which is about uh, Jocko Pistorius, the great uh, avant-garde uh, kind of experimental bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, really good. Uh, really sad, uh, but also it's very good. It's on uh, Netflix uh, for those who can watch it uh, in the States. And uh, I guess I'll end with saying uh, I finished off the uh, 10-hour documentary event, which was, uh, and I consider it a film because I know it was shown at Hot Docs as a 10-hour experience. 
which would have been an amazing experience, I think. Uh, there was there was intermissions, obviously, as there would have to be, but I can imagine watching this in one gigantic experience would be interesting because it's pretty in-depth and pretty thorough. But 30 for 30, ESPN, is, as you guys know who listen to the show, you know I watch those films a lot, and I kind of push them on people quite a bit because athletics, even if you don't care for athletics, and I can totally understand why people wouldn't because even though I do like athletics, I get very frustrated with the uh, – adolescent behavior the overpay and the ridiculousness of the uh the financial side of athletics i think it's just absolutely ridiculous um oj simpson's made in america is a great story because it's uh it kind of shows what uh how somebody can come from nothing uh become everything for a while and then fall from grace which is really your basic, uh, you know, your basic storytelling elements. I mean, those are those are what we go to the movies for in a lot of ways, right? So, um, pretty interesting. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it. Uh, there's some things I didn't know toward the back end because I lost track with. I quit caring about OJ about uh, ten minutes after he got arrested, so I didn't really know a lot of the stuff after the fact. I, I kind of never knew, knew if he did it or if he didn't do it. As time went on, I thought he did. I will say this documentary convinced me a lot more that he probably did do it. Either way. Uh, very interesting man, terrible human being. That's what I'll say. Uh, terrible, terrible human being. So it's a real shame uh, to come from what he came from and to reach the heights he did. To do what he did with his life is uh, it's a real shame. Anyway, but yeah, that's it, man. Outside of stuff for the show, I watch the stuff for next week as well. But uh, I'll get into those when we get to the end of the show. What we're doing, we'll do some arrow stuff next week. Kind of keep going. Uh, Got to send Todd some stuff, and then we'll we'll go from there. But yeah, we'll take a break. Want to make sure this recording came out good, and uh, we'll come back. And uh, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk some pieces? Right. Uh, either one's fine with me. Uh, yeah, let's do pieces first. Maybe we All can right. get the the, the non incestual stuff out of the way first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. The following message is a paid advertisement for the Cult of Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle. You're either in it or you're dead. It's the dawning of a new age. The halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk. Their past glory is a distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma-strong grips. The beards shown from their square jaws only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad, puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers, to restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops, as we bellow it from iTunes and Limson and Facebook. It's time to join the cult, my brothers. So don your cloaks and enter the cult of muscle. All right, everybody, welcome back. All right, so, yeah, we are definitely seeing some some higher ranges on my audacity now, so evidently... I adjusted the volume just right. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so our first film of the day, our first uh, good time we're going to have here is, uh, I'm trying to, uh, sorry, pardon me, I'm trying to uh, adjust my Audacity timeline here, but it's not letting me do it for some reason. I have no idea why. It's driving me bananas, though. 
All right. I think I got it now. Here we go. All right. Man, I feel like I'm such an amateur all of a sudden. Like, I, like I've never done this before. So used to yeah, just a little rusty. Yeah, just so used to recording on my phone, you know? <laughs> let me know if the sound quality is any good. All you listeners out there, let me know what the sound quality is like. Because I haven't done the show proper in some time. It's been months. Uh, it's been too busy. Okay. Pieces, 1982. This is released. Uh, this has got a nice, uh, sweet uh, Blu-ray release uh, on. Uh, and like I said, we're sponsored by Dialbog DVD this week. So i got to mention these. Uh, it kind of came out with a basically a three-disc set. I think you get a DVD, a Blu-ray, and you get a soundtrack. And, and you get a puzzle. Yes, and you get a puzzle. That's correct. <laughs> Which, if you've seen the movie pieces, the puzzle was quite significant and quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't think my – you know, my dad owned a lot of pornography, but he never owned any pornographic puzzles. No, nah, that would be kind of – that's – That's too much yeah, Too I, much patience involved, right? That's the thing. It's too much work for the payoff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the quintessential thing about porn is you want a payoff and you want it quick. And the minute, oh, yeah. the minute it gets quick, the quicker it got – the bigger porn got. So uh, I think, uh, you know, since it's mostly a male-driven medium, I would say, mostly, uh, most men, sadly, are like rabbits. They want, <laughs> they want that payoff, and they want it quick. So uh, it's because they want to get back to it and get another payoff. Uh, directed by Juan Piquer Simon. Uh, I don't know, Juan Piquer Simon. Uh, uh, written by supposedly Joe D'Amato. I'm not positive about that. I've heard stories that maybe he didn't write uh, too much of this, but uh, I don't know. He's credited on IMDb, so we'll go as John Shadow. So a real, real good name there. Dick Randall also uh, on here as a writer. Uh, give a plot synopsis here. Young co-eds are being cut up by a chainsaw killer on a college campus. The killer is attempting to put together a human jigsaw puzzle made from body parts. So I'm going to take the lead on this one. You heard Todd talk about a puzzle. Um, this movie kind of factors into a little bit of youth, uh, youth abuse, child abuse. A young man is building a puzzle. It happens to be a puzzle of a nude female. Uh, mom catches him, uh, calls him a pervert, smacks him around a little bit, um, which is kind of a precursor, kind of like these slasher films tend to always have. They have a little bit of a precursor, um, kind of a setup, maybe an origin story for our killer. Uh, some psychoses, things like that. And it's pretty well acted, pun intended, uh, in the beginning <laughs> and throughout. This film is kind of notorious for being uh, one of the more strangely acted films you'll see in your life. It's kind of become a cult film because of that. That and I think uh, the gore, which some of the gore is really good. Some of the set pieces are really good. Some of them are really uh, very cheesy, though, very simple. But there's some, uh, including the waterbed scene, which is uh, is some yep. really really good stuff. I mean, uh, oh yeah, that waterbed scene could stand up there with some of Argento stuff, as far as set pieces go. Absolutely. And speaking of Argento, I thought the opening was uh, very kind of Argento. Mm-hmm. It was uh, sexuality being punished and the mm-hmm. whole perversion thing. Yep. Good point. It was. Yeah, because this this movie is very much about sexuality and perversion because. All the college kids are kind of flirting with it. They're flirting with this one teacher who's he's not even a handsome guy. He's kind of a dork in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, but, I mean, he's just, you know. Uh, I, I can't remember what's the name of his character. Professor Brown? Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor yes. is his name. Now, Jack Taylor, I know him from, uh, I think he did Spaghetti Westerns and stuff. But he still shows up and stuff. He was in a very good uh, Brian De Palma kind of like homage. Did you ever see Grand Piano? You should definitely see Grand Piano. That's really good. 
Grand Piano. Uh, is that the one with uh, Elijah Wood? Uh, yeah, Elijah Wood and uh, John Cusack. John Cusack. Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, yeah. That's got the. It's not a. It's not a perfect film, but as far as an homage to a great filmmaker, it's very much a, a riff on De Palma's type of filmmaking. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was really good actually. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. And speaking of Jack Taylor, um, I always uh, I always say that uh, William Fickner should play him in a in a biopic. <laughs> yeah. Those guys are like spitting images. Yeah, yeah, they do. They look a lot alike. He. Uh, oh yeah. He uh, did a. He's done a lot of uh, a lot of bad movies, but he's also done. He he worked in Spain quite a bit. I believe he worked with uh, uh, Molina quite a bit, things like that. Uh, but I believe he was an American actor. Oh, he was in Conan the Barbarian. He played the priest in Conan the Barbarian. I didn't know that. I, I believe he was an American actor. Yeah, Oregon City, Oregon is where he was born. Oregon, and uh, but he ended up in Europe making movies. I guess he spoke a little bit of Spanish and. He ended up over there, but I'd seen him in a few things before. Um, but he he does very much have a unlike Fickner. I don't think he has like a character face as much, even though they do look alike, a lot alike. He doesn't have as much character as uh, Fickner's face does. I think like Fickner. yeah, no, he's a, he's a little more nondescript. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, when Fickner shows up, you know, you, everybody knows who Fickner is. Oh yeah, because yeah, he he definitely kind of eats the scene. But this film does have some infamous actors in it. It's got uh, Christopher George who. Started in Hollywood as uh, kind of a young up-and-comer, a uh, handsome man. Uh, notoriously did a Playgirl uh, photo shoot. Uh, don't know if that ruined his career, but it definitely changed it in some ways. He ended up uh, doing a lot of horror films. He worked with Fulci. Uh, he did this film. He uh, got his wife in this film, Linda Day George. She's in this. She has maybe the most brilliant acting scene in the film, the kind of infamous <laughs> bastard scene. So we'll get a little bit more of that later. Frank Brana's in this as well. He plays Sergeant Holden. He's the gray-haired man. Now, he's a spaghetti yeah. western actor. I've seen him in a ton of stuff. He's you look at him and you can just tell right away he's been in spaghetti westerns. I mean, he's just got the look. Yeah, he's got that kind of granite, uh, <laughs> craggy face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He definitely much has like a Gordon Mitchell or yep, a, yep. Uh, you know, one of those type of actors. Uh, you know, you stick him in the west, put a hat on him, stick a cigarillo in his mouth, and you're good to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he did a lot of uh, spaghetti westerns and, and giallos, I believe, and maybe some Euro crimes as well. He he uh, he was Spanish as well. I do know that. I, I'm trying to I'm gonna look through his filmography here, try to give people some idea of some stuff to really check him out in. Uh, he did a Robin Hood film over there in Italy. Um, I'm not he, – he, he's in a lot. He's in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, but he plays a bounty hunter that's uncredited. But he's in there. He's in the most of the Leone stuff, but you just got to you look for him. He's in The Price of Power, which we haven't covered on the show yet, but he's really good in that. And uh, a lot of stuff he's uncredited with. He's just he's really just a face, and uh, but it's a great face. And he looks great in this, actually. He's actually pretty good in this film. I mean, he's not really doing much, but uh, he's uh, he's there kind of as a second uh, hand to uh, Christopher George's character. Yeah. And did you, uh, did you think it was kind of odd that uh, Linda Day George was only credited as Linda Day? Yeah, I did. I did. I thought it was very strange. I, for a second there, I was like, were they married at the time? Cause... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they were trying to keep their careers separate or what they were doing at the time. I know that uh, she didn't do a whole lot of stuff. She was an attractive woman, and she, she uh, well, I mean, I guess that's subjective, but I, I always thought she was. And uh, I remember seeing her on TV and stuff and in, like, episodes of, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe Falcon Crest or something. I don't know. Maybe some type of show my mom or dad watched. I can't remember. Um, Hardcastle McCormick she was in so I definitely Fantasy Island she was on there Love Boat so she did a lot of TV that I grew up watching yeah 
And uh, so I would see her and stuff, and even as a young man, think, oh, she's an attractive woman. Um, not a great actor, but I think, you know, a little bit of nepotism there. You know, George probably kind of helping her out. Probably most infamously, this film is maybe known for the kind of great eyeball acting of Paul L. Smith, who has maybe the squirmiest eyeballs, the most red herring performance in all of cinema history. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I'm not giving anything away by saying that because I, I think that, uh, even on the, the Blu-ray, they, there's a special feature called, uh, uh, the most the most read of herrings or something like that. It's an interview with Paul Smith. He's a great guy. he's a great interview. He's a interesting man. He was uh, you know he's got a great like backstory. Like uh, he was born like he was like thirteen pounds when he was born. He was he's this giant of a man. He's like six foot four. He doesn't look that big, but evidently everybody that was around him said he was like this kind of giant. And uh, he's more probably known for Midnight Express and Dune than probably anything. Or maybe Popeye. Popeye, or, yeah. yeah. Like, play Bluto and Popeye. For, but I've always liked him. He didn't do a whole lot of stuff, but yeah, he, you know, he had 57 credits. He passed away, sadly. But he, um, I always liked him because he had a look. Um, there was nobody looked like Paul Smith. He kind of had a look and... Yeah, well, he, had a, he had a great little uh, kind of sneer squint kind of thing going on that he really, really exercises in this one. Yeah. Boy, does he ever. I mean, he yeah. he never stops exercising it, man. No. <laughs> Even when he's in the background, like behind other characters, you can look at him. You watch him. He's doing the same thing. He's just giving you the, the sideways looks all the time. Yeah. He's also rocking a really sweet, casual kind of Canadian tuxedo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he did love the denim. He wore jeans a lot. I don't know. He's one of those bad guys who always was rocking the denim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys might, like I said, you might remember him doing, he was kind of the one of the bulbous kind of fat characters, I think. Not the one. I think that was another actor, but he was somebody else. I didn't know he was in Maverick with Mel Gibson. I didn't know that. i got to go back and look at that. No, I have no idea. Hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, he uh very popular character actor. Uh, did a lot of stuff and uh, quite infamous for this movie as well. So that's kind of the cast, kind of give you an idea of what it is. And there's uh, mostly a bunch of, I think, well, not unknowns, I would say, but there's a bunch of other people in the film uh, that I would say maybe aren't really remembered as well. Uh, the guy that plays the lead, Kendall, Ian Sarah, he's fine. He's very bland, very milquetoast kind of lead. I don't understand why all the women want him. He doesn't really seem like the type in these movies that the women want. Yeah, no. Well, you kind of find you kind of find out later on. There's a shot there when you find out exactly why the women all like him. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, that might be why. Uh, he definitely was no Ken doll. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he's an interesting. He's he's very. I don't know. He he, he reminds me of Horseshack a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you took an amalgamation of uh, him and the other character Schwartz, you would kind of pretty much have Horshack in total. So, yeah, that's a good point. You would. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting that they went that route. I mean, again, this is a film made in Europe, made in Spain. So maybe, maybe that's what they thought American women were into. I mean, of course, we know as our slasher films, it was typically the kind of jock types, or maybe maybe the misunderstood hunk. Yeah, uh, yeah. And of course, there, you know, that doesn't say that, you know, there isn't a whole era of the, the geeky character uh, that gets the girl. I mean, that that was pretty much almost all, I think, teen comedies when I was growing up. And me and you were around the same age. So mm -hmm. uh, that was pretty much our 
our youth was the misunderstood youth uh, film uh, trying to get the girl. So uh, I'll kind of get in my notes a little bit here since we got the current stuff away. Strongest, uh, oh, okay, my first note was strongest reaction to a questionable puzzle maybe ever. <laughs> yes, I'd say so. I mean, it is a question. No doubt about it. I would be upset if my son was putting together a puzzle like that. But I think I would probably just sit down and say, look, all right, you found Dad's puzzle. Let me explain something to you. First of all, it was a bad purchase. should have thrown it away. <laughs> but I thought, like, I'm a collector. I thought maybe it might be worth money one day. So I hung on to it. You found it. I'm kind of embarrassed right now. Those are boobs. Let's move on, okay? You'll either like those more when you grow up or you won't. Uh you know, because it looks like the kid's old enough to have the birds and the bees talk, right? So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. See, it's been a while since I watched this. I can't remember. But what do they say about sugar? Uh, there's a there's a note here. I have. Says, That's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> you know what they say about sugar? And I said, what? <laughs> I don't know. They never tell you. <laughs> they never tell you. They say, you know what they say about sugar? <laughs> no. Yeah. What do what do they say about sugar? I mean, I know it. You know, in heavy doses, it's not great for you, but it sure does oh, taste great. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Paul Smith has definitely got, uh, he definitely used some sugar in his day. No <laughs> doubt about it. It's a very standard setup for a slasher. I think what makes pieces stand out, though, is, first of all, the acting is a, is a little bizarre. Uh, and I say that because most of the actors in the film are, are capable actors. Christopher George had a, a Western career. He worked with John Wayne and he did some other stuff. And he was a fine, I mean, a fine actor. He wasn't, you know Marlon Brando or some guy that was going to change the the scope of acting, but he was fine. He had a look. Linda George, I mean, she was Linda Day George. She was, you know, attractive. Paul Smith, he's a character actor. You see what he's in there for. So everybody's fine. I just think that the f- yeah, I just think that the film has an odd tone to it. It has this kind of it's overtly sexual, yeah, um, and perverted in a weird way. Uh, Almost uncomfortably now, especially as time has gone on now, it's funny going back and watching these films. Now, of course, this is a college campus, so it's all perfectly legal for these young girls to hit on the professor and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's weird how sexually aggressive the students are <laughs> toward, toward the staff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really – I when I went to college, it was nothing like that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Uh and nowadays, if you go to college and do that kind of stuff, you can probably go to jail. So you got to be a little yeah. careful, you know. Yeah. But it's very, it's a very bizarre tone that it has, and it all adds up to a very, like I say, a very standard horror film, a slasher film. But because of the odd choices made throughout, uh, the odd writing again, you know what they say about sugar and the odd performance from Paul Smith, the. Uh, kind of odd moments it it has some of these kind of great kill payoffs which uh really make it work um that's the stuff i like the most um not because you know typically with these films i mean really if you're going to watch these films let's be honest if we're watching slasher films we're watching it for the kills i mean there's really no need to watch a slasher film otherwise maybe except the 10 little indians aspect of it you know who's doing what who's the killer yeah maybe there's that basic mystery there but really our generation kind of grew up with just the the special effects generation. We just wanted to see, you know, the next film one up the film we watched the weekend before. Yeah, and well, uh, I think this film does have some pretty great payoffs. Oh, absolutely! And it's funny that you say about uh, being all about the kills because I think part of what makes it so odd, at least the you know, to, that brought my attention to it was that the the kills are all so random. 
Yeah. I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's no real rhyme or reason. We don't get to know any of these characters <laughs> no. except for, like, you know, brief little intros, and then that's it. They're dead. Yeah. Um, so you don't really have, uh, you don't really have, you know, characters to kind of get to know in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the Friday the 13th movies, you may, they may have been the most cardboard cutout characters in the world, but, you know, you had a little time with them kind of yeah. just sitting around and talking about some stuff, and then all of a sudden, no, okay, now you're dead. Yeah. Um, but this is just completely not that. I mean, the, look, it's, uh, it, they're just, I mean, like I said, they're really random. It's yeah. Just, the one girl's just laying on the campus, uh, uh, grass there and just, yeah. With her skirt hiked up, of course, because we have to have that. that but that, that was Roxana Nieto, who, by the way, I tried to do a Sammy search on and came up with nothing. Oh, unfor- that's unfortunate. That was very unfortunate because that was a very nice skirt she was wearing. Yeah, Virginia Palmer, the first victim. That's right. Mm-hmm. Christina Cottarelli. Cottarelli was the pool victim. But yeah, the uh, the elevator victim was. That's what I love about the the aerobics instructor, the elevator victim. That's the name of these uh, ca- the cast here. <laughs> They're so important to the, <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yeah. Hilda Fuchs is the dean's secretary, but that could, that name F U C H S could have Hilda Fox is a would be a great porn name. Oh yeah. Uh, I should say the tag one of the taglines for this film. Great tagline. You don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. That's a pretty. That's a great like, you know, selling point. To uh, kind of sell a, a B movie on, you know, because yeah. well, so is the other one. It's exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm looking through here because I wanted to get this piece of information right. Uh, I do know this. I did know this going in after I'd seen the film because what I used to like about this movie, one of the things I used to, I used to love to show movies to friends when they had what are now called what the fuck moments. Now, when I was growing up, there was no WTF. There was no what the fuck. It was just. What in the hell's going on here? Why is this in here? So in this film, there's a moment where Linda Day, George, is kind of scoping out, trying to figure out who the killer is, and suddenly she's confronted by Bruce Lee. I think that's how you say his name, Bruce Lee, but he's actually a Bruce Lee imitator. Yeah. I think he was one of the first ones after Bruce Lee died. Uh, he's actually he's very he was very confident. He was actually he has some good films. Uh but he suddenly shows up in the movie. <laughs> And supposedly the reason why is because Dick Randall, the producer, was making kung fu films in Rome at the time. And uh, he just kind of threw him in there uh, uh, because, you know, he was kind of impressed with what Bruce Lay could do. I think that's how you say his name. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. Um, Will would know more than I would know about Bruce L.E. But, uh, uh, that would be Bruce Lay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he he was a very competent uh, kung fu actor. But it's a very bizarre scene. It's not bizarre just because it's in there. But it's also bizarre because of the way it ends. Like, you know, good job. <laughs> thumbs up, man. Yeah, thumbs up. Great work. Well, I love that he's the the kung fu professor. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's and like, he's just he's just a pure stereotype. He must have had bad chops. Yeah. Everything. yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was a pure stereotype. So. Oh my god. Yeah, that was. It's it's a bizarre moment, but it, it makes me think about when I watched it this time. I thought to myself. Who's kind of grown, you know, what generation's grown up on this? And, of course, Eli Roth is the same age as us, or around the same age as you and I. Again, I'm, I'm roping you into exactly my age, but I know we are similar in age. And uh, and Roth is as well. He's around the same age. And uh, I think that, uh, personally, I think we look better. But uh, I think that, uh, and I think we're better actors probably too. Uh, that definitely. <laughs> the... Uh, the pancake scene in Cabin Fever has always stood out to me as a bizarre moment. And I often think that maybe Roth 
He never said so in the commentary for Cabin Fever, I think, or anything. But I feel like that that moment is totally ripped off in pieces because the Kung Fu moment in this and the in the Pancake moment and in Cabin Fever are two scenes that are very similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bizarre for their one noted bizarreness. So, well, the only thing that would have made it more directly a uh, more of a direct homage would have been if the the kid was uh, asian i mean other than that yeah yeah or or a kung fu professor mm, yeah a kung fu professor yes uh but yeah i wanted to go to the trivia to make sure to get that right but that's that's what they say they say that's the reason why dick randall was actually working with bruce lay at the time so um so that's interesting kind of got him into the film a little bit maybe one of bruce lay's few uh, american credits or maybe i guess it's not american really because technically this is a spanish film so or a european film we should say um uh waterbed is great randall is a stud it was 82 but what's that say but rice but what he wasn't a stereotype but nice he wasn't a stereotype i don't don't know what that means see this is the problem with taking notes of the film you watched two or three weeks ago yeah is, is that you look at these notes and you're like what the hell's going on um we should get to the susan george stuff now she's in the film to kind of do some undercover work essentially she wants to know who the killer is Everybody seems concerned who the killer is except the actual school administration, so it's one of those type of stories where some things are being hidden and stuff. Uh, we won't get into the climax. The climax is really good. I should say it's it's not it's not like it's uh, a genius climax, but it's a fun climax, I think. Yeah, it works. And, of course, the, the, uh, the bizarreness of the very end of the film or the very last shot of the film is <laughs> – is you know you, you could see when this film was made. I'd, I'd bet if I'd have seen this film in '82 in a theater, that it never would have left my brain because it was so bizarre uh, that it would have been a cult classic in my head uh, right away. Um, because there's nothing quite like pieces. It, there's nothing quite made like it. It's it's both inept and yet pretty well made. Mm-hmm. We talked about the waterbed scene. Uh, the waterbed scene is really great. It's done in slow motion. It's a very graphic uh, stabbing scene. I mean, logistically, it makes no sense, really, outside of the fact that it's a stylish kill. Um, but, the, again, it's cinema, so you, you kind of want to have fun with that. But that's kind of what Argento has always done. He's kind of had those great set pieces and those great kills that we love. Um, kind of, well, I mean, like De Palma, too. De Palma and Argento have a lot in common as, as far as filmmakers go. They They really love the set piece. They love the idea of, you know, we got this, we got this, and we got this. Now I need to make all three of these things happen to make this final piece happen so that you can just tell, you can see the mechanics of filmmaking when you watch an Argento set piece or a Brian De Palma set piece. You can see them working it out as they go along. And it's all about the editing and the style and the slow motion and all that kind of stuff's here. Not to give uh, Juan Piquier Sima Simon the, uh, the, the credit of being as good as De Palma or Argento, but that one moment there, I, I think that's a pretty much a shining moment. I mean, that's that's... Going back and watching this now, that is a pivotal moment in this film where I thought to myself, wow, you know, that, that really works. That waterbed scene really works. Yeah, it really, really does. It's uh, beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, it's quite, you know, it's just graphic enough to be horrifying and and cool. And uh, supposedly the killer was kind of based on the shadow, the comic book character. Um, hmm. So uh, that makes sense when you uh, look at it. Um yeah, but George Linda Day George is acting. Again, she's not again, she's not the thespian that you would think uh that some are. Um she's doing this I think again to work with her husband and maybe he got her a deal, maybe it was a vacation to Spain or something for him, I don't know. Uh 
But um, she does have a rather infamous scene. It's a very famous YouTube clip of her saying bastard quite often. Uh, very badly. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's kind of great, and it's, it's kind of one-notedness. It's kind of... You know, it's again, it's one of those cult moments, like the final shot of this film, or like the waterbed, or like Paul Smith's eyeball acting, uh, or even uh, um, what's his name, the teacher, Professor Brown's kind of fidgety walking around and <laughs> getting hit on by every student who who thinks he's uh you know who thinks William Fickner's hot. Uh, it, it it it's all these things kind of add together to make a cult film. I think. Will and I have kind of been criticized sometimes by saying that, you know, some of these more modern films, and of course you watch a lot of films as well, Todd, so you know what I'm talking about when I say this, that some films seem tailor-made to be, try to be a cult film. Like, um, and I haven't seen it, so I can't judge it one way or another, but like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter or something like that. Yeah. This stuff seems like it's made for the hopes that it will be talked about for eternity. Yes. I think one of the interesting things about films in the 70s and 80s when we were making a lot of that, well, when film was, there was a lot of exploitation films. Nobody was really thinking about the longevity of these movies because, again, there was really – there was a home market starting to kind of blossom, but it really wasn't – I don't think that anybody really ever saw, like, people with walls and walls of Blu-rays and things like that. I don't think anybody ever saw that type of future. I mean, I think people hoped. I think there was film lovers who hoped that, that we would have stuff like that. VHS – early VHS adopters were buying films. They were paying $90 a copy sometimes and – uh, laser disc. I was an early laser disc adopter. I used to pay one hundred and twenty dollars for a movie, and I used to think, "Man, I'm crazy." But uh, and you know, of course, now I can buy those movies for like sometimes six or seven bucks on Blu-ray. Um, so it's definitely cheapened and made it much more of a collector's market. But at the same time, it's uh, you know, it's made where you got to have a special release really for a collector's item. Uh, but I think Pieces is one of those films that kind of deserves that. I mean, again, it makes a little, very little sense, but it's so bizarre. The way it's acted, the way it's written, the way it's directed, that it all just works. I mean, it, it's not, again, it's not rocket science, but it's uh, it's perfectly efficient, entertaining filmmaking. So that's really all my notes on pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see what I got here. Uh, uh, with the opening there, uh, when the, the boy is having his way with mom and the hatchet, uh, you have Mary Poppins ringing the the bell and the phone's ringing and you know I was thinking to myself every, everyone's always you know disturbing you when you're uh, when you're busy yeah um, and then speaking of directly after that when the cops get there uh, they just disturb the living shit out of the crime scene walking all over everything grabbing stuff um, I got a kick out of that yeah uh, here's I didn't understand this scene at all uh, with the uh, the girl who I believe is is the first victim. Uh, sidewalk surfing along, and everybody's like waving at her, and she's like all bippity boppy, and it's sunshiny. And, oh, yeah, that's you know, right. She's going on the skateboard. And then you have the classic guys with a giant mirror, you know, slash pane of glass kind of gag. Yeah. But then it's serious. Yes. And then it just, it, 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 it there's no context to the scene in the rest of the film, and it's no. so odd in its placement. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck is this thing doing here? And I almost started thinking to myself, you know, is this supposed to be like, you know, uh, part of like a fantasy of the of the uh, the killer in this yeah yeah not necessarily because we don't really have any direct tie into it other than that it happens yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah it just it's straight out of the blue yeah um let's see oh, oh uh one of the girls who's uh admiring professor brown says uh 
the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is that the one that kind of pokes her chest out at him? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. She's not wearing a bra. She's. It's a great moment. <laughs> There's actually uh, a, there's actually a screen capture of that and uh, on the uh, on the IMDb page. Yeah, I can't remember her character's name. She was the girl I liked the most, though. Well, I think she's the one who later on. Um, let me see, because I have a note about this one. Uh, we get to see why Kendall's such a stud, i.e., his uh, his junk. Uh, but there's the girl <laughs> who's with him in that in that scene. I think is that same girl. Okay. Okay. Uh, and she, you know, she's the one who she just cannot contain herself, even though you know he's not touching her at all. And then later, you know, she says she wants to be gagged. Um, but hey, you know, yeah, that's a smoke pot. And, Christina Catrelli, maybe, maybe, maybe she was. Was she? Did she end up in the pool? Did she end up being the one that was in the pool? Ah, uh, no, I don't think it was her. No, no, because that was earlier on. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's not until way later that mm-hmm. uh, that they're doing it. Um, but yeah, no, it's just another one of those really weird things. Uh, Paul Smith really, really, really loves his chainsaw. Like he's petting it. Yeah. And everything yeah. just to, just yeah. to you know amp up that red herring there, <laughs> yeah. make it a little more crimsony. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the pool victim, um, she wants to do it underwater, which we all know is a bad bad scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when we get to that scene, actually before that, I should mention that she has really really sparkly jeans. Yes. And uh, I've never seen those like outside of uh, outside of movies or like chips. Yeah, uh, I think I've seen. I think I remember them. I think I remember. Well, I had a when I was growing up. My next door neighbor had an older sister. She was like three years older than us, and I think she wore those things once. Because well, they're not really like pants, are they? They're, they're not really like spandex. They're like actual jeans, but they're sparkly. That's the way that they look to me. Yeah, they look seem like they'd be really, really stiff and itchy. Yeah, <laughs> mm. you, oh, you, you try scrubbing all that sparkle off you when you take them off too. Yeah, there's an um, actor. There's an actor in this film. I just got to say his name because I love saying ridiculous names on the air. Dan Sturkey. S T U R K I E. Dan, little, little Dan Sturkey action in here. Hey Sturkey, come here. <laughs> yeah. Hey Sturkey, get over here. <laughs> <laughs> How horseshacky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, when the when the blondie uh, gets to the pool, we get a nice little sexy sax solo there. Oh yeah. yeah sexy just... sax action. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the uh, well, you know what they say about sugar line. Uh, the the girl who goes in the pool, she gets confounded by fishing net. Yes. Uh, and then wait, oh yeah, he hauls her out of the water. Uh, the killer does when he hauls her out of the water. I'm thinking to myself, man, that would have fucking killed my back. Oh man, because he's just all your yeah. weight is all your bed straight over. Yeah, I gotta say, I, I, confounded I, by net in the water though, that would be at least that makes sense to me more. Than, well, the thing is, what's a what's a fishing net doing at a pool when you normally have like a skimmer? <laughs> it's just a big old fishing net. I don't know. Um. <laughs> The uh, the chainsaw I got to say is probably the least covert weapon of uh, cinema slashers ever. Yeah, it really is. It it really only makes sense. Really, the thing about the chainsaw I've often talked about this. I maybe not on the show, but I know I've talked about it with friends, and I know definitely Will and I've talked about it. The chainsaw because it's such a dangerous tool, uh, and if you've ever used a chainsaw, I don't know if you have, but if you've ever used one, they can easily get away from you. They're not uh, they're not exactly uh, foolproof. But- not a precision instrument. No, no, they're there for destruction and mass destruction on a, on a in a quick. They're loud, uh, they're obnoxious, they're dangerous as all hell, and uh, they can easily uh, they can easily backfire on you if you're not careful or or whatever and whatnot. So they make a great scary 
implement to a slasher, but yeah, you're right. As far as uh, wanting to not be found or not be seen, it only really works in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because that house is in the middle of nowhere, right? Because exactly, yeah. on a campus, if I'm in if I'm in my dorm room and all of a sudden I hear a chainsaw in the middle of uh, my Spanish campus, I'm gonna be like, man, there's no trees for days around here. What's going on? <laughs> Who's using well, the chainsaw? Exactly, and you know it brings up the point a little bit later on when I think it was the girl in the elevator. Uh, when he's got it hidden under his coat. I'm like, how the fuck do you hide that thing under your coat, man? Yeah. Yeah, because this is like one Especially of those. Especially if it's running. Yeah, this is one of those big. Uh, one, it's, this thing's like almost like a pornographic version of a chainsaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so it's like big and bulky and like. And it's just, like the steel of. Uh, yeah, like phallic. Chainsaw. Yeah, it's like totally. It's totally like a phallic instrument and things. I, yeah. I think at one point, isn't Paul Smith like trimming like a very small bush with that gigantic chainsaw? Yes. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like I'm sitting there oh. thinking to myself, maybe some maybe some trimmers, maybe some uh, hedge trimmers would work good there, Paul. Yeah, how about some clippers, man? <laughs> yeah, don't need that big ass chainsaw. Well, <laughs> <laughs> overkill. Uh, big guy, big chainsaw. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, I found it interesting that uh, again, you know, Kendall's the ladies' man, but Schwartz isn't. Uh, who Schwartz is kind of like the he's kind of like the Shelley from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three of this movie, a little bit. Yeah, he, yeah. He does that little he does that little scare. But he did that random ass scare with the mask on. Yeah, jumps out of our boy Candle. Um, let's see uh, the dance class. Uh, the song that they dance to is very very like Funky Town. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which caught my attention, and um, yeah, it's just one of those nice little touches. Um, th- this movie is one of those ones that has the heavy breathing killer in it. Yes. And I've always kind of wondered where exactly that started. Like, I know I'm, I'm almost 100% positive it would have been before this, but would it have been like Halloween? <sighs> well, when, yeah, I mean, there is some breathing in Halloween, right? I mean, yeah. the, when that man, when he puts the mask on, you can hear him breathing. Uh, I don't remember if there's much in like Black Christmas or anything like that, but even before then, I mean. There may have been. There may have been some breathing on the phone, but breathing on the phone makes more sense. Yeah, what, yeah. You, what you're talking I mean, about? How the hell is he going to know yeah. somebody's there? Unless... What you're talking about basically is the POV breathing, which is a bizarre. Yeah. If you think about it, it makes no sense mm-hmm. uh, because that would mean that the camera, the POV breathing. Well, I mean, I guess it does make sense because it's POV, so it's supposed to be a person. But I don't know why you you, you would hear him breathing, but you wouldn't hear him like like burp or uh, yeah. or potentially his footsteps, or you can just hear the. <sighs> I mean, you can hear that, but you can't hear footsteps. You know, what if yeah, he's, what if he's got a little, yeah, like yeah, what if he's got a little gas or something? You know, yeah, you gotta, you know, <laughs> squeeze one out. Sometimes. Yeah. Don't trust it, but squeeze it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know, the POV is. I've always heard that. I remember Joe Dante in a commentary track somewhere. Maybe it was him, or it was somebody else. Maybe it was maybe it was John Carpenter. But POV obviously is you get the most bang for your buck, production wise POV because. It's the cheapest way to shoot a horror movie. You know, you 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 put the you make the camera the killer, and it just makes it all very simple. And so I I, I know that Dante doesn't like to use it, even though he used it quite a bit in The Howling. So he had to. So I mean, I guess yeah. you know, you make cheap movies, you got You got you really got to use it, really. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you have to do what you have to do in order to get you know something up on screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the whole um, found footage genre is essentially POV, right? So. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not so much. I mean, obviously, it's not uh, the killer in, in charge of the the camera. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's the same idea. Yeah. It's the same. You know, go for cheap. Um, I found that uh, for some reason or another, 
another whenever uh Christopher George is on uh at a crime scene he's all, you know, deadly serious, but he gets back to the office and he's the most fucking casual, happy guy <laughs> in the whole world, slapping backs and he's just everything's a grin and a chuckle and Yeah, he loves his job, man. He does. Well, he loves it in the office. He doesn't like being out on the field so much. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really odd the the military march that plays after the uh, the tennis match, and then we hear later on, you know, blaring uh, when the uh, the tennis uh, victim <laughs> fights it. Um, but I think that was also because the version that I watched was the one with the the, the quote unquote library score by Cam. Oh so yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if Cam's an acronym or an actual person. Oh okay um, so. Oh, that's right. The version you would have watched, yeah. Okay, so there is multiple versions of this. I should say that because there's the mo- there's multiple versions on the uh, on the disc. Yeah, yeah. I watched the uh, the American theatrical mm-hmm, release, mm-hmm. and I think I watched the I think I watched well, I watched the American uh, the I watched the American re- uh, cut, but it had the Cipriani music to it. Okay, okay. So yeah, because wait, I didn't mention, but uh, for those you know f- film lovers like ourselves, it does have a. A bit of a Stelvio uh, Cipriani in here, so he's kind of, uh, you know, maybe not as popular as some of the other Italian composers, but uh, oh, I think he's damn fine. Yeah, he's damn fine. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, um, I thought that the uh, the killer in this is one of the best puzzlers I've ever seen. He he doesn't have to do the border first. He could just kind of <laughs> put the pieces right in place all the way down and just form the picture as it goes. Yeah, man, uh, your, your puzzle game's got to be you know tight. You know, to be and able it's to do tough that. when there's that much pink background going on, man. Man, that that it's I gotta tell space. you, I gotta tell you, the only part of that puzzle I would have been any good at would have been the body. Because oh, yeah. that pink background, that solid pink background, I, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> I would have given up. Now, I, you know, I'm 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 not a you know a big puzzler anymore. But I used to put puzzles together with my grandparents when I was a kid. It used to be something we'd do for fun. You know, we just you know my grandparents, they weren't you know uh, big partiers or anything. They were pretty much homebodies and stuff. And and we you know sometimes on the weekends when it got kind of late at night and my grandfather was waiting for the news to come on, we'd you know sit around the table and just kind of work on puzzles. And I would as a kid, you know, of course, the bigger the puzzle, the more I was into it because I was like, I like the challenge. But now that I think about it, I remember we would always give up if there was a solid color because that solid color would throw you off so badly. But you know, you, but once you get the borders done, because because like I agree with you, you got to start with a border. I mean, absolutely. Not starting with the border is madness, man. That's a, that's a that's a crazy man's game. You don't do that. Well, that's why he's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I used to love puzzles myself. You know, anything like dinosaurs, monsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing. Is it was a good excuse to talk about dinosaurs and uh-huh. superheroes and things with my grandparents, who would you yeah. know, who wouldn't you know uh, support that conversation? Where at the time you know, there wasn't podcasts and online communities to kind of talk about my love of Captain America, wishing he would fight a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> he came pretty close with Dragon Man. Yeah, uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, speaking of puzzles, uh, I thought that uh, you know the movie's actually pretty consistent in that theme. Uh, with the pieces of the puzzles, pieces of the girls, the pieces of the mystery, the pieces of ass. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it all kind of, yeah. you know, it, I, just say what you will for as bizarre as the film is, it, you know, it does kind of keep reinforcing that idea. So credit where it's due on that. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, it, it it stays its course. I mean, it, it's, again, oh, yeah. it's it's a little sloppy, but it never, it never really loses the kind of, I don't know, the kind of uh, statement it's trying to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, did you find it odd that for some reason the killer suddenly switches to a knife? I did. 
Like he's, he's chainsaw, chainsaw, and then like knife, and then chainsaw, and then back to the knife. And I'm like, well, let's be a little more consistent on that, please. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, obviously the water. Well, I think I think part of that is because if I'm remembering correctly, the reason the the scene that he switches to it is the. Uh, well, the reason that he first switches to it is the waterbed scene. Yeah. So I'm thinking it might have been more of a logistical thing yeah. than anything else. Well, didn't they? At one point, the cops ended up with the chainsaw, right? I mean, at the pool scene, the chainsaw's at the pool. Uh, they're, they're, like, touching the yeah, chainsaw. They're touching, yeah, it is. they're touching criminal evidence. I don't know why they would do that, but they they bring Professor Brown in. He's touching it. Well, I think they were trying to set him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, of course, the waterbed scene doesn't work if it's a chainsaw. No, uh, no so what, that's the thing. I think I, that's kind of the reason. Okay, we mm-hmm. solved that mystery. Um, the one victim actually wets herself, which I found to be somehow well, not somehow. It's just incredibly more sleazy <laughs> than just the the general tits and gore aspect yes. to it. Yes, because it's just so. It's one of those things where it's like that's just kind of a a, a little bit step beyond. Yeah. Um, what you're kind of looking forward to with a movie like this. Correct. <laughs> um, you, you, of course, have the, the famous or infamous bastard scene. Uh, <laughs> I never knew I never knew this, and I don't know if it was maybe just a European thing, but I did not know that people used to actually hand-add saccharin to their drinks, like their uh, tea and coffee and that. Oh, yeah? I didn't even but, see that. Yeah, th- towards the end, uh, when they're having uh, tea in the, in the one guy's uh, apartment. Oh, I thought he. I thought it was just sugar. No, no. She, he asked her if he want if she wants saccharin. She's like, oh yeah, just like two or three drops. And he goes in and he's, you know, oh yeah, playing with the saccharin. Saccharin's uh, a little con- controversial. Saccharin is. So. <laughs> I. It is now. Yeah, um, it is now. Yeah, that's right. Back then it wasn't. You know, back yeah, back yeah. then it was the wonder. It's like yes, we don't we don't have to have sugar anymore. No. We can have this thing that causes cancer. <laughs> Potentially, no, no, no proof of that. Don't, don't I don't want to freak anybody out. There's no. Well, that's why they got rid of tab, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That NutraSweet uh, and saccharin stuff. There was, you know, supposedly it gave cancer to rats, but it never. I yeah. don't know if it was ever proven to give cancer. I, yeah, to no, rats. I don't think anything was ever actually proven on that. No. Um. Yeah, our boy uh, Sergeant Branya, or I can't remember what his character's name was, but uh, Branya is going to send the the clerk that helps him out a case of lollipops. <laughs> Sergeant Holden. Holden, there you go. They got great names. Uh, Lieutenant Bracken and Sergeant Holden are on the case. <laughs> uh, I thought that some of Linda's best acting was uh, at the end there. Yeah, no, that, that was good. Uh, I actually think a lot of the stuff at the end is, I think this film wraps up neatly. Although I think Paul Smith, yes. flatly, he just disappears. Yep. Uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, I think that, because I, I, he's so much fun to look at on camera, but... I think the way the story wraps up, I mean, it it, it, it won't take a genius. If you've never seen this before, you'll probably figure out who the killer is before you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Probably won't take a genius to figure it out, but I think the way they wrap it up, it, it plays well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the killer gets his uh, Quentin Tarantino fetish on a little bit there with the feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does. Yeah, kind of. He's, <laughs> he's looking at him. Um, and, and I noticed this, and I don't know if, uh, if you did, but uh, when they get to the end there, the puzzle that they're showing in the long shots looks different than the one that's the actual puzzle that we've seen through the whole movie. It yeah. looked like one of the, in the box in the long shots was like a blue kind of background yeah. thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Where the other one's pink. No, I, yeah. One those little, those little kind of uh, continuity errors. No, there. yeah, I did notice that. I don't think it's because I was like studying the puzzle either. I just thought it was one of those things I was looking at it and I was like, well, that's not the same puzzle. 
Yeah, well, it catches your eye because of the 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 color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I never it, even it, knew nude puzzles were a thing. I really didn't. I mean, pieces I would have been the only thing. I mean, I'm guessing they probably were a thing. They might still be a thing, for all I know. They might. Um, might be I mean, some. They, uh, they used to have those pens that you turn them upside down and the clothes come off. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I still see those every now and then. Somebody, <laughs> somebody will whip one of those out every now and then, and it's like, whoa, hey man, hanging on to your youth? Are you hanging on to? <laughs> Yeah, you hanging on to 1967 or what, there, bud? Those were so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either that or you know, nude playing cards, porn playing cards, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. You, you, see, I, you know, I run across those things every now and then. I mean, when I say every now and then, it's not like I run in these like you know despicable circles. I'm just saying that occasionally somebody will say, "Hey, man, you know, we'll be watching something." I'll be like, and I'll see nude playing cards, and they'll be like, "Dude, I got a stack of those." I'm like, no way, man. Get them out. Let's look at them. It's like one of those things that you hang on to, like maybe a family heirloom. <laughs> like those, uh, they used to have calendars with the, like the overlays of clothing. Yes, would, yes. You know, be able to lift off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. Uh, and that's pretty much all the notes that I got on this thing. Yeah, this is a good pick by Will because this is, uh, we waited a long time to cover this one essentially because, um, it's one of the ones that, like, a lot of podcasts we listened to in the beginning, they all covered it. Uh, because of its infamy, it's, uh, again, it was heavily rented, I think, by a huge generation of, and you could say that most of the podcasting uh, community is definitely a uh, a generational thing, video store kids or whatever you want to call it. I mean, a lot of us uh, share some common background. So... Uh, I think we held off for a long time. Glad we did because this uh, this grindhouse release uh, releasing set is really worth the purchase. I mean, I think everybody should pick it up. It is a lot of money to pay for pieces, but you do get multiple cuts. Like say, you get the soundtrack, you get a puzzle, not as big and nice as the puzzle in the movie, but still, you get a puzzle. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just a nice little package. It's a nice little. I, I like when companies treat films like, and this is the thing. Me and Will always talk about when we talk about Arrow. Uh, when serious film companies treat films that nobody takes seriously, seriously, I, I think that that that's my favorite thing. I love that there's a three disc version of Pieces, but there's not a three disc version of Warren Beatty's Reds. <laughs> you know, a film that's arguably maybe more important in some ways to some people, or maybe to maybe to film scholars, but uh, Pieces. <laughs> wins the day is what i love you know so that's the kind of great thing about the genre filmmaking uh okay my mvt for this film i'm gonna go with the effects uh because all the kills are fun uh they're all well done some of them a little cheesier than others but you know they're all very gory and 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 they're and like i say they're just they're kind of exciting uh stylish that that leads to my make or break which is definitely the waterbed scene although i will say the payoff is worth with sticking around for I don't ever like to chick pick to chick to pick the uh, make or break scene as the ending scene. Um, it'd be like picking uh, the ending scene of Carrie as the ending uh, as the make or break, which is, you know, arguably this is influenced by uh, Carrie, uh, as most films from the early '80s seem to have been in some way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, it is worth sticking around for and a lot of fun. That and. Uh, like multiple scenes, Paul Smith's grinning and squinting uh, are a lot of fun. My score, it might not justify as much as I like this movie, but I think that's because, like I said, the film is pretty inept in a lot of ways. Uh, it's It seems kind of cut up and, uh, well, for lack of a better term, just seems to be put together from a lot of different pieces. 
but I give it a seven out of ten. I think it's you know solid genre smut. Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, it's not the sleaziest thing you'll see in this genre because I can name probably a handful that are a little worse. But uh, it certainly has this kind of there's this kind of underlying sleaziness to it that just, it just, it's right there from the get go, mm-hmm. and it's almost perverted in its uh, in its weird way. And uh, I like that. As a matter of fact, both these films this week are perverted in their own way. And I don't know if Will was going for a theme or what he was doing. <laughs> we could have we could have a lot of fun picking at Will's psyche with these two films if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, we could. Well, especially the next one. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, we are very much in line, you and I, on this one. My MVT is a little bit different. It's the odd atmosphere, which we've spoken about. Um, I just really love that uh, it just it stands out by being so different. So you know, un not even bothering to explain a lot of stuff or just, not, you know, jumping in with both feet and uh, hit the ground running and go. And between that, the, uh, just the general, yeah, man, it's, it's just an odd movie. And I, I kind of really like that feeling of it mm-hmm. and then add in the rest of it, uh, you know, the kills and the gore and uh, everything else, the, you know, nudity and everything. Um, you you kind of got to love it. Um, yeah. My make or break, as with you, it's you know it's about the last final, the final uh, two minutes or so, uh, just goes straight off the deep end, and uh, y- y- yeah, it's absolutely something <laughs> worth sticking around for. Even if you even if you have a hard time with the, uh, you know, dead teenager movies or any of that kind of thing, yeah, <laughs> it, just to see that that last that last uh, few minutes is it's it, it's like something straight out of um, something like a House of Laughing Windows or. Uh, but Spider Labyrinth or something like that is just that kind of off the wall, you know, go for broke kind of ending. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, score is a seven out of ten as well. So nice, nice. Pretty much in line on that. Love it. Uh, it's one of those movies you can you can kind of watch on a loop almost because there's always just something that you didn't notice before because you were so distracted by the really bizarro thing over in the left corner. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's a very rewatchable film. Like you know, it's one of those ones that you could throw on. People come over, you know. Like if you know, if I had a bunch of the the whorehound guys or the listeners of the show, you know, like you and Will and and me and like Kelly and some of the guys were all hanging out and we're all just chilling. Uh, the hot tub, so to speak. Let's say the hot tub all is hanging out. You know, this is a good one to uh, throw on because uh, you know you get a lot of nice laughs. You get a lot of moments where it's like, oh, dude, and you know stuff like it's just like it's very much a crowd pleaser for like minded individuals. So. Definitely that. All right, that's our review of Pieces, uh, the Groundhouse releasing uh, disc. Um, check it out. Go over to DiabolicDVD.com, pick it up. We're going to come. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about 88 Films' release of Burial Ground from 1981 by director Andrea Bianchi. We will be back right after this. A one, a two, a one, two, Tom Waits here. If you want to hear a really professionally recorded podcast promo, then I'd suggest you go elsewhere. But if you want to listen to a podcast where there's a whole lot of interesting talk about favorite and great albums and what makes the songwriting so fantastic, then I'd suggest you listen to Love That Album, hosted by Mars. Now, if only he'd talk about one of my records. 
Love That Album podcast, as endorsed by one out of five Tom Waits impersonators. You can get the podcast from iTunes, searching for Love That Album, or you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Listen to this podcast, except no imitations. All right, everybody, welcome back. All right, so our next film in the psychosis of Large William is uh, Burial Ground from 1981, directed by Andrea Bianchi. Now, Andrea Bianchi is quite infamous... Uh, Filmmaker, he made a lot of trash films, but he uh, he's quite infamous on this show for being the director of Cry of a Prostitute, which is very much a very uh, very big favorite uh, The Will and I reviewed on here. Uh, neither one of us had seen it at the time. It's often the film we talk about uh, sometimes being one of the big discoveries for us on this show was uh, discovering Cry of a Prostitute because it kind of just happened by accident. And at the time, we didn't know Bianchi directed it. We didn't know how much we loved Henry Silva. We knew we liked him, but we didn't know how much we loved him. So uh, we found out after watching that. So uh, this is his film, and we'll get into him a little bit here. I'm going to synopsize. Todd's going to lead on this one. Uh, again, Burial Ground, The Knights of Terror, 1981. Le Notti del Terrore. Terrore? Terrore? I don't know. Uh, a professor opens a crypt. A professor from Duck Dynasty. A professor <laughs> opens a crypt and reanimates rotten zombies. <laughs> the zombies attack a jet set group, which is celebrating a party in a villa nearby. Rotten zombies. How lame is <laughs> Oh, God. What a terrible synopsis. But uh, in a way, it, it kind of fits. All right. So I'd seen this film a few times, always on VHS. Uh, I believe it's on. Uh, I don't know how you. How did you see this? Did you see this? Uh, uh, this was on uh, Blu-ray from uh, Media Blasters. Oh, okay, I okay, okay. Yeah, that's right. where I got it from. Nice, nice. So it's been out there before. Uh, it's on 88 Films now with a little special, some special features, some 42nd Street uh, documentary, which is on another one of their uh, Blu-rays, I believe, as well. Um, uh, this is it's interesting to see this film in high definition. So I'm going to kick it over to you, and let's talk about Burial Ground. All righty. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, the professor looks like uh, somebody out of Duck Dynasty, but he also, uh, the first thought that came into my head was that he looks exactly like Alan Moore. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is he doing down there? He's supposed to be writing Watchmen. Um, you, you come to my house to go and watch the magic. <laughs> my my, my mushmouth Alan Moore English accent there, I don't know. <laughs> As a good <laughs> there was no English accent there, but I, I think I got a little bit of the mushy uh, Alan Moore there. <laughs> it was really one well time not to do yeah. it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh man, was enough. <laughs> oh man. Uh, the op- the opening to this movie, uh, where you're kind of following him walking around with the his lantern and all that stuff, uh, it it reminded me a lot of uh, an old episode of uh, In Search of, where they would have yeah. like reenactments, and it was kind of that handheld, you know, natural lighting kind of thing that they had going on. Yeah, yeah. And it really, really had a heavy vibe of that. Uh, the only thing that was missing, you know, obviously was you know Leonard Nimoy's narration. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, I, you know, I really got a heavy hint of that. Yeah, the prologue is so strange because it almost is like it almost like doesn't fit the style of the rest of the movie in a weird way. It's it's like its own little thing. Oh well, yeah, I, it's strictly preamble. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's so weird. In fact, that I had totally forgotten about it. I, when I threw it on, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, is this Burial Ground? Or am I watching a special feature? What am I doing? I, I don't even know. Is he going looking for like the lost films of Andrea Bianchi? What is you know, because I I'd forgotten all about that. Because, like I said, I don't normally seen this in like murky VHS, and it always was very murky because it was not a very well taken care of film. So, 
seeing it in HD and seeing this large bearded Rasputin like uh, <laughs> Alan Moorish uh, Duck Dynasty slash uh, professor. I was like, I don't remember any of this, man. Is this going to blow my mind that like I remember this movie being something totally different than what it was? But it was just that, just that opening. Yeah, it's only that first few minutes. Yeah. Yep. Um, the uh, the zombies. You know, you got some really really zo- uh, gnarly kind of zombie masks, and then you have a couple that are just kind of like a few two minute makeup kind of deals. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. you know, seeing as how they were all uh, ancient Etruscans. <laughs> anyway, you would imagine that they would, should mostly be, uh, yeah. be pretty rotten. And I also noticed, and maybe it was just me, but one of the masks that they used looked a lot like either uh, a modified Frankenstein mask or maybe like a Tor Johnson kind of mask. Yeah, yeah. And he really stands out for being just this kind of like puffy, mm-hmm. square-headed kind of, you know, uh, yeah, he's pretty much just puffy. I couldn't think of a better word than that. Yeah, Will and I were kind of talking about the zombies in this uh because Italian zombie movies are interesting. The zombie, the quality of zombie changes from film to film. To film. Oh, absolutely. Or uh, minute to minute. Yeah, minute to minute. Yeah, in this case, minute to minute. There's a lot of zombies in this. Of course, there is the great Italian uh, little thing that they throw in there that I don't think Americans do, which is the maggots. They love the, they, as Will right. says, Will told me on the phone, I'll give a couple of his notes as we talk here. The Italians love their maggots. So they do manage to work some maggots into some of the more extensive makeups. Yep. But yeah, you're right. Some of the other makeups are are pretty shoddy uh, to the point to where you know they just look like, well, they just look like uh, large pieces of star foam or something stuck on somebody's face. I think one of my favorite things about the zombies in this film is the actual human eyeball that you see every now and then. It's it's oh, yeah. it's very wide open and kind of spooky when you can actually see the eye of a zombie that clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of well, see that life in the quote unquote undead is kind of interesting to me. Well, another beautiful thing about uh, a lot of these masks is that you can see the actor's nose poking through the uh, yeah. the nose hole. Yeah, in, you can. In the mask is just painted black. But other than that, even though I was thinking to myself, man, those things—I mean, they had to be hot. Oh my god, yeah. Because one of the key things about this movie is it kind of—it's interesting going back and watching. It. I didn't realize how much of it took place during the day, or maybe, uh, maybe day yeah. for night. If maybe that's what it is. But either way, it seems like they're out during the day. When the zombies start, I think there—it's a daylight zombie attack. Yes, yes, it is. So that's kind of bizarre. Yep. Um, as the uh, the titles roll, we get that nice little cool jazz score. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, kind of reminded me a little bit of Dave Brubeck. Um, <laughs> but it came from. Let me see if I wrote this down right. Elcio Mancuso and Bert Rexon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you hear that and you're like, "What the fuck am I? What?" <laughs> but then later on, you get that like sci-fi kind of weird synthy kind of electronica kind of thing going on yeah yeah uh and it just it just doesn't quite line up exactly yeah those guys did a lot of uh a lot of italian films uh a lot of italian uh kind of sex comedies and uh, uh sex films they did a lot of stuff with bianchi too because they did uh i know they did strip dude for your killer okay and a few other things but uh yeah they 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 were around quite a bit i always forget that he did that yeah 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 that's a pretty sleazy uh giallo Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nate Patrick um, still lives, which is a film that that's getting a lot of talk around on the interwebs lately. Oh yeah, well I'm going to get to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, nice. It, it, it's connected here. Nice. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, I think that they got a lot of value from the, uh, the locale, a lot of wide shots. Oh yeah. Really used the space really, really well. They mm-hmm. get it mm-hmm. all in there. Um, and I'll just, as long as I'm talking about the location, I might as well, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll squeeze it in now. Um, this location was the location used in Patrick Still Lives. Well, there we go. 
Uh, that's that's number one. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the the thing that uh, that caught my eye first was the uh, the fountain where uh, where oh, the one okay. girl was earlier on. Okay. Uh, and I was like, that looks awfully lot, an awful lot like the uh, the fountain in Patrick still lives, and sure enough, it was. Um, so there's that. There's the fact that uh, Marie Angelo uh, Giordano's in it in both of these movies. Oh, um, yeah. They're both extremely sleazy in the in the regards to uh, her and you know everything that pretty much happens to her. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was uh, let me think. Yeah, no, those are like the two the two main big things, and then both of them are just the those two movies are just batshit insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they, they really line up. I think they'd make a, a fantastic double bill together. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man. So it's definitely got uh, got ties to it. And wow. uh, but that one was made by Mario Landi, I believe. Was yes. Yep. Mario Landi. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think what else Landi did, but I mean, Patrick still lives is the one I know he did. Yeah. 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 But I think they've used that. They probably used that castle in a, that. Well, they, I don't know if it's a castle or a manor, but I bet they've used it in a few things. Oh, I'm sure they have, but those are the two that just really, it, it struck me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Between that and uh, Marie Angela, yes. it's just a really heavy tie for me. Um, Peter Bark, of course, is uh, key to this film. Uh, he's kind of like uh, Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall, but shorter, um, <laughs> and with slightly better hair. <laughs> and some Dario Argento-ness to his face. Yeah, he's got the... got, yeah, a lot of Dario Argento-ness to his face, and you know, like we were saying... He's got. He's just an ultra creepy guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you know, he's supposed to be playing a twelve-year-old. They don't even bother to give him a twelve-year-old's voice. No, they don't. Uh, oh, mama! Just, oh, mama! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. This cloth smells of death. <laughs> at least, at least he doesn't sound like Alan Moore. That would make the film very disturbing. You know? <laughs> I would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would have been great. <laughs> like a heavy northern accent or something <laughs> but like but like we were saying i mean kind of the key to uh the movie really kind of is peter bark i think um yeah he's central to the movie like we, yeah go ahead it's it's bizarre the 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 well okay so let's let's get this out in the open so if for those who haven't seen burial ground uh and i'm sure there's more than a handful of you because uh, not everybody's seen everything uh, one of the things about Bianchi's filmmaking, for some reason, he was fascinated with uh, incest. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody really knows why. I don't think he's ever given any interviews on the subject. I think he's still alive. I, I don't know for sure. He's an older man, uh, if he is. Uh, but he had a thing. If you look through his filmography, there's a lot of incest in his films um, and kind of grotesque sexual perversion. Uh, I don't know if he did that for selling points or if he did that just because he was interested in those things. I mean, either way. Uh, I think it makes him an interesting filmmaker because he he always seems to want to explore it. Now he probably doesn't explore it as explicitly here as he does in. I think there's another film where he. Uh, I think it's where uh, I'm in love with my father's wife or something like that. I can't remember the name of the movie, but he he gets into all kinds of uh, these type of situations. But this one could make people uncomfortable. Uh, it still kind of makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I was always I was hoping while I was watching this I was watching this in the living room of all places I was hoping while I was watching this that my wife wouldn't come in and catch any of the dialogue if she caught the scene she probably wouldn't understand what was going on but if she caught the dialogue it was like oh mama oh mama you know I <laughs> I don't know what, what I don't know what what do I say you know what do I uh, okay well you know this guy here he he's in love with his mom it's an Oedipal complex I mean I uh, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know what else you say other than that because obviously it's a real disorder. Uh, not to make light of it. I mean, it's easy to make fun of it because, well, because none of us want to think it exists. But, but I mean, obviously there's a name for it, and it comes from a very uh, popular, or not popular, but very classical piece of uh, literature, I guess, a play or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Well, I would, I would call it popular. It's yeah. been around long enough people yeah. know about it. So, And it's not like incest hasn't been a huge part of storytelling for years. I mean, most sure. of the classic plays and stuff, you'll get some... Uh, mother-son or father-daughter type stuff in there uh, because of the taboo of it. It's uh, It makes for, uh, well, it makes for high drama. So in this, it comes off, of course, as just clear perversion. Oh, yeah. But it is very interesting that <laughs> everybody shows up to this castle and everybody's horny. Like, like within like 20 minutes, everybody has dinner and everybody's wanting to fuck. It, mm-hmm. Everybody's de- DTF, as they say on the street. Uh, uh, Peter Bark doesn't say that. He's just that lingo. Yeah, he doesn't get that. He's like, oh, mama, oh, DTF. But he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he uh, it makes for some uncomfortable moments, and you don't really see it coming at first. You just get the uncomfortableness of him catching his mother having sex, um, which isn't an uncommon thing for a kid to do, but. It is uncommon when it's Peter Bark staring at you. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's like it's like we were saying. He's got those. He's got those black. Those blank. Uh, yeah. Wide eyes. No, those doll's eyes are like shark eyes. <laughs> yeah. Those doll's eyes. Black eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs> but he. That's the thing. I mean, if I'm if I'm the gentleman that's courting his mother, I'm like, you know what? I don't. I don't think I can see you anymore. After this weekend, you know, if this goes good, that's great. But I mean, after this, I got to get away from your son. He's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> You never know what the hell you knew. You don't know what the hell he's gonna do. Yeah, he keeps coming around. You know, it's just like uh, something's not right. He's got them high waisted loose jeans on. Yeah, <laughs> what I like about yeah, <laughs> what I like about it is there's moments in the film where other characters are almost looking at each other, like we're looking probably at ourselves, like what in the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> is he really? Is he really doing this? Yep, <laughs> absolutely. It's like what the hell? What is he? Go ahead, go ahead, Michael. Go ahead. That's it, baby. Oh, mama. <laughs> That's my, my impersonation of burial ground. So, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the female, she says she got a very, she got a very sultry voice. So, what is her? Right. Is, is, was that, uh, was that Leslie? Is that her name? Which one is, which one is the, is that, is that Evelyn, right? That's not Mary Angela Giordano. That's she's, Evelyn, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. That's her. Okay. Yeah, she's very, she is very sexy. She's very. Oh, yeah. Sultry, got that kind of smoker's voice. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I like it. Husky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I like that quite a bit. But yeah, if you look through, uh, let me let me kind of scroll through Bianchi's uh, filmography here real quick and kind of give people an idea. He directed twenty five films. Still alive, born nineteen twenty five. You know the Italians, they live a long time. Yeah. Uh, what the, oil, yeah, first yeah, what the first film? What the peeper saw? So right off the bat, he's he's throwing in. Uh, his third film was Cry of a Prostitute, and that's pretty sleazy. If you've seen that, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't hold back. No incest, but oh, pig carcasses. Yeah, pig carcasses and uh, uh, well, and anal rape. So it, it goes there. Uh, Strip nude for your killer. Uh, Confessions of a frustrated housewife. Uh, Malabimba. If you've ever, I've seen Malabimba. If you've never seen Malabimba, it's very much about uh, incest. Uh, Burial ground. Nights of terror. Obviously. Exciting Love Girls, I've never seen, but I would take a guess. It's probably in there. Commando Mingle, that's the one he did with uh, Christopher Mitchum. I've never seen it. I know Will has. A Maniac Killer is the one with Bo Svensson and uh, uh, Chuck Connors and Robert Ginty, which is a great cast, but from what I hear, it's not that great. 
of a film. Shame, because that cast sounds promising, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe, like I said, one of, his last film was Fleshy Doll. In 1995, Bianchi was still working. So, Fleshy Doll is written by Oscar Wilde. Huh. Whoa. I don't think he was around in 1995. No. Al Clivers and, and, and Aldo Sambrell are in Fleshy Doll. I need to see Fleshy Doll. Great title, Fleshy Doll. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, if you go through his filmography, um, there's plenty. The Seduction of Angela. There's plenty of stuff in here. A lot of things he started to do as Andrew White. I think when he came to America, he started to call himself Andrew White. So, mm-hmm. uh, very interesting filmmaker, to say the least. Sleazy yeah. to the nth degree, I would say. <laughs> oh, <all> mass. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's get back into the story here. Sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, but like I was saying, I, I do think that Peter Parker is key, on, and also because I think that you can look at this movie as kind of being like almost his a bit of like his fantasy, not literally, but in a lot of ways. You know, just kind of going up to the house and then hitting on his mom. So he just kind of plays this whole thing out with everything else happening, and it's kind of a kid's fantasy. Yeah. Well, I mean, as the um, but pro- I think that that's way that's one way that you could look at this movie. Yeah. Is that, you know, and that's why he's so besides him being so relentlessly creepy mm-hmm. that you could look at it, at this whole thing as being like either his fantasy or his his nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost um, like he wants this to happen in a weird way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it all leads up to that that uh, that ending, which yeah. we'll get to a little bit down the road. Because there is that uncomfortable scene we talked about. It there's there's one uncomfortable scene, and then there's. The kind of infamous uncomfortable scene, but there's a scene in the middle where he almost feels like he's the hero for his mom. Yeah, exactly. And, and that seems terribly uncomfortable because it gives him, uh, well, it gives him a window, mm-hmm. and he tries to take advantage of it. As the prophecy of the black spider says, "There shall be nights of terror." There shall be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the what man, the... <laughs> they needed the proofreader on that thing, by the way. Yes, they did. Um, but uh, the niggets of uh, terror. <laughs> the niggets of uh, terror. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you get the the one chick. She's wearing somebody else's laundry that she just kind of found around the the place. Yeah, that's 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 sexy for some reason. I don't know why. It's kind of gross too, but it's extremely gross. But you know what though, Mickey Thomas from Jefferson Starship, he approves. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he looks that guy. He looks just like Mickey Thomas. Yeah. Um, and of course, then he throws out he throws out that nice little compliment. You look just like a little whore. <laughs> And it, you know, it pretty much tells you everything you need to know about this movie. Yeah, that's Andrew Bianchi in a nutshell. That's like his romance talk right there. <laughs> it's a pillow talk, baby. Yeah, just a little pillow talk, baby. No big deal. <laughs> Throw on this crusty old negligee and be my oh. little whore. <laughs> God. Oh, I hope it was at least washed. But. Uh, well, yeah, but the, well, I don't know if I, I didn't see any dishwasher. I, dishwashers. Why would there be dishwashers? <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't see any... Uh, well, washing machines around, but hey, you know you, you can wash by hand. So yeah, absolutely. That's what they got them uh, the boards for. Well, negligees and 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 that kind of stuff's never on very long anyway, so maybe it doesn't matter. Well, it depends on if you put them back on after, right? Well, yeah, I guess if you actually wear them, yes, around the house, then yeah, yeah, you're right. That's what I'm saying, yeah, especially after, you're right, because that there could be some leakage. Oh, this <laughs> would be uh, as, as, as the prophecy <laughs> of the black spider says. <laughs> There could or be maybe. leakage of terror. <laughs> yeah, leakage of terror for the prophecy of the brown eye recluse. <laughs> for Sammy's brown eye recluse. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, yeah. 
that that scene paired with the the opening in the tomb, uh, sex and violence is pretty much the whole the whole movie in a nutshell. Yes, you know, by the time you get to that point, uh, you you know exactly what to expect from there on out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's see, uh, the movie wastes no time at all in any way, shape, or form, uh, and that's really kind of one of the most the best things about it is that it just it's almost like um and uh, again i think it, it calls back a little bit to uh, tonight of the living dead and it will uh-huh. later on yeah. you know once the once the zombies actually start attacking the people yeah is that it just you know it, it goes straight in for the the kill and then it just goes from there yeah uh, i think it's it a good thing it does because i don't think the movie's very good without the zombies i don't think the movie's very good well, no, yeah. I mean, without them, yeah. It's there's really, there's really nothing very interesting about these people. They all just want to fuck, which is fine, but they're all kind of shitty in a weird way. Uh, I don't know who brings their kid to a, you know, this jet set orgy that they're having yeah. in the castle in the first place. So that's a bizarre twist. Well, I mean, obviously yeah. for the story. I mean, I know why it's there, but I mean, it's just yeah. it makes no sense. So it's just I, there. There are scenes in this film that stretch on for what seems like ten minutes with like absolutely almost nothing happening. Yes. So, I mean, be prepared for that. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll talk. I, I think we'll talk positively about this, and I think we both like it. But uh, I will be the first to admit that it is incompetent and, and completely flawed. I mean, it is, oh, it, yeah. is it is it is a mess of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, and it's it's you know almost bereft of story yeah. entirely. Yeah. Really, it is. Um, but that's you know it it all adds up to that that nightmare quality that it has that's you know is the thing that uh, that really gives it um, gives it what qualities it does have. Yeah, um, that would be my argument on mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you. But, I'm with uh, you on that one. But um, moving along, uh, you get the Etruscan zombie magic, uh, and I also need to note that. Um, <laughs> oh. The, uh, the zombies love their neckerchiefs and burlap dressing gowns. Well, the, the neckerchiefs do help with the makeup line. Yes, yes, they do. Uh, the mask I, I, line. I mean, that's, that's a strictly practical <laughs> thing, but every one of them is wearing it. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, yeah, the burlap, uh, yeah, those uh, sacks they're wearing are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to tell the zombies they're doing this, the potato sack race all wrong. That's right. They got it on the wrong end. <laughs> Zombie field day is all fucked up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I found it kind of odd that uh, you know they're they're practicing shooting in an antique storeroom. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it's uh, bizarre. And we never they, what are they shooting at? We never see. We never find out. Yeah, I don't. I'm, shooting at like old you know freezes and you know busts and things. I'm maybe. guessing. I'm guessing. I remember I used to. This is a bizarre story, but a bizarre Sammy story. I like to tell the story sometimes from my youth. I remember one time I got a hold of a blowgun, and uh, my uncle was a big hunter, and he was going to try to kill. A deer with a blowgun. That was his. That was his. Uh, that was his new challenge. He said, "Well, this was a professional blowgun. I mean, this was you barely had to blow, and this dart would come out at you know hundreds of miles an hour, and it would go through. It would go through. I'd say about a quarter inch of wood, easy. Uh, so I got a hold of it. You know, was messing with. It's crazy what people used to let kids play with. Uh, me and my brother were downstairs, and we were messing around with it. And he was a taxidermist on the side, kind of something he did for." Uh, and I swear my uncle, my uncle's not a killer. <laughs> uh, it sounds like he is right now because I'm saying he's got a blowgun. He's doing taxidermy on the side, but trust me, he's not. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, and he lives in Texas, and no, he uh, he had a deer head down there that he was kind of you know, that was kind of that he messed up on one that he had killed uh, and dressed and everything. And so he would use it for target practice stuff. And we were down there shooting this thing, and I remember thinking 
you know, why are we in this little room with this very dangerous weapon? <laughs> my brother, who's three years younger than me, I'm already underage. My brother is well underage. Who's, you know, I remember thinking even at that age, whose parents let them do this? <laughs> you know, you know, what is, what is going on? <laughs> well, it's kind of like, a, you know, when we used to have, uh, what, like ninja throwing stars, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Same thing. You're like, who the fuck would give this to a kid, man? <laughs> yeah. I used to walk around the neighborhood and everybody had a star, man. Oh yeah, be multiple. Yeah, we'd be comparing stars. Like, man, you got Sit the there sharpening four. them and trying to yeah. smack them into pieces of plywood all the time. Yeah, because they were never dangerous enough when you bought them, right? You had to sharpen oh, them, you know. They were dull. <laughs> yeah. They were just too dull. Yeah, I mean, you really—I mean, at, at, at the right, at the way they came out of a manufacturing plant, or the way you would buy them at a ninja store, a karate store of some sort, or martial arts store, they were never sharp enough. So you would have to, you would have to, uh, you would definitely wow. have them to sharpen them. Hell yeah got to get that stuff like a razor so that as soon as you you pull it back and you got it between your your thumb and your index finger it just you know cuts right in there in the groove and then you drop it yep yep exactly my mom wife but, just my wife just brought uh, the baby down she's staring at me she doesn't know what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> she thinks i look like i'm in she's looking at me like i'm insane i got headphones on i got a microphone in my face i'm talking she's like uh nice and she just woke up she's like what is going on Get me out of here, Mom. He's weird. <laughs> baby. All right. I'm sorry about that. You scared, yeah, me. You scared right. me to death. By the way, you scared me to death. Literally. She snuck up on me. I didn't even know she was down here. I'm talking about Ninja Stars. I turn around. There's my wife and my, my little daughter. I just jumped out of my skin. <laughs> Whew, man, my heart's racing. As the prophecy, like yeah, as the prophecy, like of the, prophecy of the brown eye recluse says, do not <laughs> sneak up on Sammy while he podcasts. <laughs> he will lose his lunch out his blowhole. <laughs> oh, mud whistle. <laughs> oh man! But no, the uh, yeah, that 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 little room. That seems to be a Bianchi thing. I think I feel like in Cry of a Prostitute, like there's a massacre that happens in like a little, you know, like that's where the bandsaw moment happens and stuff. There's like a moment like that. So okay, yeah, it is weird though. You have all this ground around. Why are you practicing shooting fire and weapons in this little room? Not yeah. not exactly safe with a kid in there. Well, then again, I guess it wouldn't be a total loss if you hit, you know, Michael. But no, although he is the really the only saving grace of the movie in some ways. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to get rid of him too fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lots of uh, slow mo bullet hits and oh, yeah. uh, green ooze, you know, just pouring out of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, I don't know if Etruscans are, are specific to a, a certain portion of Italy. But whatever portion of it it was, uh, space was apparently at a premium because they buried people even in the uh, cement planters. Mm-hmm. They went yeah. out of the garden in the cement planters. They're crawling out of there, <laughs> uh, barely like an inch of dirt on them. Yeah, it looks it, um, look, it look it looks cool, but it makes no yeah. sense. No, no, no. Uh, there's a really really inconvenient bear trap that no normal man can open. Uh, that one of the uh, the ladies gets uh, gets stuck in. I can't remember which. Which girl is it? Uh, I think it was uh, Janet, the blonde. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gets her foot in the bear trap, and, and nobody can get this fucking thing open, <laughs> which defies, you know, all logic because yeah. the whole point of a bear trap is that you can open it up then once you're done. My thing is, you know, bear traps were so popular when we were growing up. Again, this goes back to us growing up. I mean, I, it seems like there was always a bear trap on some TV show. Of course, they make for great cinema because they're so vicious looking and mm-hmm. – you know, I've messed with one before. They are a scary, scary, scary thing. Essentially, an industrial mousetrap is what they are with teeth. Yep. And uh, 
I got to say, you know, I'm not going to go out and uh, make love on the grass if there's bear traps out there. I mean, I, I feel if you got to put bear traps down, that maybe staying in the manor might be the way to go. Well, don't you think that the servants maybe should have pointed this out before everybody went out, you know, yeah, yeah. frolicking in the in the estate? Yeah. Like, hey, by the way, you might want to watch out for the bear traps, man. <laughs> you would think, yeah, because they're going to really ruin your day if you start, you know, if yeah. you're DTF out on the uh, the lawn, yeah. out on the on the lower oh, floor. Yeah, yeah, that would really definitely ruin your day. That would kill the vibe quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Especially if the wrong end of you gets caught in it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Like one of them zipper pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. No more zipper pictures, please. Ooh, they're bad. They're bad. Oh, they are uh, bad. <laughs> oh, sympathy pains. Uh, this uh, this has some of the the wettest, most prolonged skull cracking sound effects in the history of cinema. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's just that that crunching. I mean, you can almost like see like yeah. some guy named Giuseppe with like a whole. <laughs> thing of celery just standing there at the mic grinning and cracking yeah. it as you know he's ripping he's fighting celery while he's ripping watermelons he's just having the time <laughs> of his life <laughs> he's chopping up the the heads of uh lettuce <laughs> Abbages yeah. died for this. um the uh the movie does have you know uh an inescapable apocalyptic kind of feel to it and i think that it's mm-hmm. it's kind yeah. of enhanced by how flimsy the story and the characters are yeah, uh, if that makes any kind of sense. No, uh, it, it does kind of. Ma- it, it makes sense. I mean, I think outside of the uh, the uh, Jefferson Starship looking guy and the and the uh, and of course the lead female uh, Mariangela Giordano and of course Peter Bark, uh, there's the the one that's in the fountain. I think was the one I found the most attractive, probably physically but i mean i don't remember anything about the other characters those those three characters are really the only ones i really remember i think the blonde she makes it to the end right she doesn't she make it to the end what the, isn't she limping around uh, or maybe maybe that isn't her maybe that's the other one i liked i don't know i felt no 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 the blonde does uh, she goes out the window i think or something somebody goes no, out. no no the, uh, the the <laughs> the one that uh, is wearing the old lingerie goes through the window oh that's right that's right that's right yeah, that's right that might have been the one i liked actually yeah 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 Maybe yeah, she would. She was DTF. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, she was. She's definitely. Yes, yeah, she'd have been on campus in pieces. She'd have been DTF with Professor Brown. No she'd doubt. Been smoking pot and making and <laughs> fucking on a waterbed at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, you get a nice rusty old scythe that uh, cuts like a hot knife through butter somehow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, with the poor, uh, the one poor lady. Um. Of course, you get your kind of eat the rich kind of metaphor thing going on a little bit there, right? Uh, because these people are just you know so obnoxious and everything else, and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of desecrating everything. I don't think there's um, any genre of movies that you can attach more social uh, injustices to than the zombies. <laughs> yeah, really. They, well, they're, they're such they're blank slates. I mean, they're, yeah. they're literally blank slates. They're, so you can project just about anything you want to onto them. Yeah, you really can. And, and because you know. As long as you get the microcosm of the of the characters right, you could, you know, do anything you want. Yeah, I often wonder though, how many filmmakers actually have any intention because because of them being blank slates like they are. I don't think they ever have any intention. 
I mean, maybe your Romeros do and maybe a few others do, but I really don't think most of these filmmakers have any intention of making political films and somehow not saying this is a political movie. It's not politically incorrect, no. maybe, <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, I, I think that because of the nature of the zombie itself, and maybe it's just because of Romero's influence. Uh, I think we, we always kind of, even in modern zombie films, you can always kind of find some type of political slant, especially when you start talking about different countries and stuff, you can start mixing it around. You can start saying, well, that's an American zombie film. And if you look at it, you can say, yeah, you know, this, this is talking about the Bush era and this is talking about the Reagan era. <laughs> you know, you can really kind of project that stuff onto those things. And you can do the same thing with Italian zombie films with the, their kind of political upheavals. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely can. And, uh, Oh, uh, speaking of the uh, the chick that gets that goes through the window, uh, I thought that that was a very Fulci esque moment. Oh yes, that was uh, very much. It's so. interesting because this came what like two years after Zombie. Yeah, they said it was shot in 1980. I think Zombie was shot in 79. Wasn't yeah, it? 79. May have been shot in 78. Uh, it's very well. It's not very similar to Zombie, but certainly you have the maggots and you have some earthworms and you have some zombie. You have some uh, well for lack of a better term, zombie-esque moments, which is mm-hmm. Fulci's zombie. It definitely feels like Fulci sometimes, let's put it that way. Well, I mean, but with the, the hand pulling her head in there yes. towards the glass, and, yes. you're getting, and then, you know... It, it, Close to the eyeballs, all that stuff. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is a very uh, Fulci-type moment. Mm-hmm. The gore is good. I mean, it's it, there's not an excessive amount of it. A piece is a more gory film. Uh, but there is just enough, to, uh, you know, if you don't like that stomach-churning stuff of guts being eaten, there's enough of it here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very bright red viscera. Mm, lots of tempera. <laughs> yeah. Tasty. Uh, tasty. <laughs> which, speaking of that, um, I don't know 100% how much of the uh, the entrails in this were actual animal entrails or how much was just like latex thrown together. Yeah. But I, I was thinking to myself as I was watching this, and this is something that I always do when I'm watching zombie movies, is I, I think to myself exactly how hard up I would have to be for an acting gig put raw animal entrails in my mouth because <laughs> yeah. they do actually put them in their mouths at some yeah. point and yeah. it's like yeah. the story i remember always hearing that grossed me out the most was uh the day of the dead one with uh, oh with the refrigerator yeah. or they, they shut the refrigerator off or whatever yeah yeah and they rotted overnight the pig entrails did and joe Pilato, i think was his name i think it's his name the actor that's or, uh, when he gets uh, ripped yeah, joe Pilato, yeah. yeah when he gets ripped apart those were those had turned and they said everybody in that scene was just like, like you know, as soon as they yelled cut, everybody was throwing up. <laughs> yeah, and he couldn't go anywhere because he was stuck in the floor. Yeah, so it was just like everybody was just vomiting all over the place. So it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine, man? Oh, no. No, no, no. I mean, just even thinking of that is, you know, I, I listen, I'll, I'll eat the steak pretty rare, but that's. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly afraid of. Or not, not stuff like that don't bother me either. But I got to tell you, anything that's a uh, rotten meat of some sort, rotten innards or rotten dead flesh of any sort, that there's a smell that comes with that that you never forget. And uh, once you smell it, you never want to smell it again. And, these entrails uh, smell of death. Yeah, these entrails smell of death. That's right, mommy. This 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 rag it smells of death. <laughs> she just picks it up and smells it too. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like I just got to check it. Yeah. It's like, Mommy, I just cut the cheese. It smells of death. Please, <laughs> smell my ass. Pull my finger, Mommy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, who, who does that? If somebody hands me a rag and says, hey, man, smell this. I'm like, no, dude, whoa. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> What'd you do with this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're setting me up, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're Peter barking me, bro. <laughs> That's what it should be called from now on. <laughs> yeah. You're barking me, man. <laughs> mm. A dirty bark. 
Well, dirty Sanchez, a dirty bark. It's a dirty bark. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you get the uh, you get the classic uh, never trust a dead loved one ploy going on here. Oh yeah, uh, at a couple of times. Yeah, but, they, um, they, they do. Like, a lot of these zombie movies like to work the dead child into the scenario. I'm not giving. Yep. Away, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler because I'm not going to give away what actually happens between. Those characters that that would be the spoiler because if you've never seen this it's, it'll it might blow your mind because it blew mine when I was young I can tell you that mm-hmm. but um, yeah the, uh, the that's something they kind of trot out every now and then you know what do you do you know I, I often think you know of course I don't believe that we'll ever have a zombie apocalypse it's fun to think about those kind of things and you know I I got video games and literature and movies to let me live my post apocalyptic dreams but. Uh, if you end up in a situation where a loved one is actually something you have to fight, that would be that would be that would be a terrible way. I mean, the the guilt you would have to live with would be almost unbearable. Yeah, yeah, so. but I mean, it, there is that about it, and there's that you know whole thing that you don't want to let them go. But at the same time, if you saw them dead, mm-hmm. wouldn't I mean? It, yeah, would you lose all sense of logic? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it, it kind of reminds me of when, and I know you love dogs. I mean, it kind of reminds me, you know, I, I had to recently put a dog down, and uh, you run into this, you run into this thought process. So you start telling yourself, you know, well, what about, you know, what if we wait two more weeks? Maybe, maybe things will get better in two more weeks. And you know, the vet will tell you, well, yeah, you know, there'll be, there'll be good days and there'll be bad days. Um, but there'll be more bad than there'll be good. And you, but in your head, you're starting to think, okay, well, you did say there'll be good days though. You know, you yeah, don't, well, you, you start you start rationalizing. Well, yeah, you start rationalizing all these things, and then sooner or later you have to come to a conclusion. You have to, and of course, unfortunately, the more you go through that, the more logical you become. Uh, I don't know if that's unfortunate. I, that's survival instinct, but uh, you know, I'm saying unfortunate in the case with dogs because I've had to go through it at least you know ten or fifteen times in my lifetime. So it does become more something you adjust to, but at the same time, you still start to talk to yourself in your head and yeah. and tell yourself so so i, I kind of relate it to that you know what would i do what i'd see like, oh well you know he's he's still my son i mean this is this is nothing new i mean this has been lots of zombie movies you know people hanging on to uh loved ones so that goes all the way back to romero doesn't it so mm-hmm. absolutely um my final note is that uh peter bark is not an ass man <laughs> i'll just leave that one right where it is yeah he's not <laughs> he's not uh, yeah. What a what a thing to be known for. We were talking about before we started recording. Uh, Peter Bark is still around. He's out there somewhere. Well, at least as far as we know, he's still out there somewhere. I don't really know if there's ever been any real interviews with him done. I mean, he is the cultiest of cult actors. I mean, I, I would say that if you could land, why is there not a search for Wang Wang for uh, Peter Bark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, there. I mean, he could still be out there somewhere. It would be interesting just to kind of you know see his take on what this became and what he kind of became to cult cinema and stuff. You know, people use him for Facebook profile pics. Uh, oh, yeah. His infamous uh, close-up where he opens his eyes is, uh, has been used in several gifts. You see those all the time. Uh, anybody that loves uh, cult cinema or B-movie cinema or, you know, those these type of movies, you know, sooner or later Peter Bark comes up because it's such a odd performance and such an odd movie. Um that it really is, like I say, it's like the cult. It's like the cultiest of cult actors. I mean, it's just it's weird that he. It's almost like the uh, the Mad Hannon stuff in a weird way, the Samurai Cop stuff way stuff. 
mm-hmm. that and you know and then all of a sudden he showed up again and how that kind of blew everybody's mind i kind of hope that peter bark who we we figure must be in his mid 60s by now uh judging by his uh, birth date uh you know i kind of hope that he would pop up again and something like some you know filmmaker who has a love of these films would kind of find him and talk him into doing something so maybe there's some maybe, maybe that'll happen one day you never know or maybe he is gone maybe we don't really know i i mean Again, he did five things, and four of those things he was uncredited. And only mm-hmm. one thing was, he did he ever have a credit? So, uh, who knows? Um, but it, it, it is interesting. His place in cult cinema. Uh, most people, when you mention the name, if you, if you watch a lot of cult movies, when you mention the name, people know who you're talking about immediately. <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about the maggots. There's a lot of earthworms, too. Like I said, uh, they really they really work in their, their uh, ground animals uh, there as much as possible. Again, like I said, when Bianchi wants to stretch out a scene, man, he really stretches it out. There's moments when it works, like the tension works, and there's moments when it's just like it's obviously just filler, like he's just trying to kill time to get from one scene to the next. Yeah. Uh, One of the things I do like about Bianchi's zombies in this is they attack day and night, which we already talked about, but they also use tools and weapons. uh, We talked about that a little bit when you talked about the scythe and stuff. Uh, These are very much more kind of – uh, they're kind of they have a conscience in a way. I mean, they're they're remembering things they did when they were uh, alive. It seems because uh, most well, or at least or at least they have a purpose, right? Yeah, they seem sentient in some kind of weird way. Yeah, because uh, they remember you know that they can use these weapons and things, which is a bizarre choice because you don't see that a lot. Usually, you just see the kind of the stumbling around and the superhuman strength. You don't usually see the weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, not 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 as common. Well, it's uh, you know, yeah no uh, the the only thing the only one that I can think of immediately as far as like euro horror would be um what grapes of death maybe yeah yeah one mm-hmm. i'm sure there's some more um oh, oh, yeah almost definitely but i mean cause I, that's, the I, only I, one, that's the only one that springs to my mind yeah i would say that they've you know they've done just about everything you can possibly do with zombies or zombie-like behavior at this point so i'm sure that somebody else has revisited the uh the uh <laughs> i'm looking at the plot keywords cleavage professor crypt mansion party uh, cleavage, yeah, Cleveland, oh, yeah, yeah, Cleveland, <laughs> Cleavage won a championship last night. The uh, the uh, incest angle again that that's the element you'll take away from this film the most. That was the element that I felt like you know when I would show this to people, I was showing it to them to gross them out. Uh, they were thinking I was going to show it to them to gross them out with the zombie horror uh, because you know like most zombie films, there's going to be some gore, there's going to be some gut munching, all that kind of good stuff that you expecting these type of movies and you have to have it really in a way uh unless you're a master filmmaker you kind of really have to have it because people expect it but the uh the incest angle would always kind of put people off that some people i would watch they'd be like oh dude and then other people would be like dude don't ever show me this shit again don't show me your fucking weird movies (laughs) uh but you know this is one of those ones i would first time i watched i watched it by myself and i thought man this is really strange uh uh Maybe I'm a weird movie fan. I always tell, used to tell myself that. Maybe I'm a weird movie fan, but <laughs> I kind of dig this. This movie's got some weird things going for it. and <laughs> You know, it's it's different than other zombie films. That's the one thing you could say about it. I mean, it doesn't have... It has some of the same qualities of Italian zombie films like Zombie Holocaust and and things like that, of that nature. But at the same time, there's no other zombie film I can think of like Burial Ground. No. And that kind of makes it unique. Um Again, not it's not a great film by any stretch of the imagination. That was that would not be the word I'd use, but 
I think if you love movies, you can justify just about anything in a film. And uh, I, I like that Bianchi takes some weird, sleazy angles. I mean, it's not for everybody's taste, but I don't think everything should be. Something should offend you. Something should appall you. Um, this doesn't, well, it does offend me in a way, but not in a way that makes me uncomfortable. It does appall me in a way, but not in a way that I wouldn't watch it again. Um, but then there's other things that, you know, like Cannibal Holocaust, for instance, I can't watch that with the animal scenes in it because it appalls me too much. It bothers me too much, even though I do think it's masterfully made. Uh, it just, you know, it's not for me. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, no, that's a brutal one. Yeah, that's just, you know, I mean, I get it. Yeah, you you know, great job. But at the same time, it's like, oof, enough. It's powerful enough that you really only need to see it once and you'll never forget it. At least some of that stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, the high definition transfer looks pretty good. I've never seen Burial Ground look this good. Uh, don't really know. I know right around 13 minutes, the J&B shows up. There's J&B at the dinner party there. Has to. <laughs> They do, oh, yeah. they do drop that in there, so a little Justerini and Bark uh, shows up in there, <laughs> uh, which is nice. Bark. <laughs> you dirty, dirty Bark, you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just I think going back and looking at it, it's funny that uh, you know I don't think you know I, Will and I always talk about when we program a show that sometimes you accidentally program these things that have like minds, but this week he really did program this kind of sleazy kind of sexual deviancy. That uh, I don't even realize. I didn't even really realize until we started talking about these films. That's what kind of the great thing about doing podcasting is. Sometimes you can, when you talk with somebody else about a movie, you can kind of put stuff together mm-hmm. that you don't really realize at the time. Even though I watched these films back to back, I didn't really not recognize that. But it's very interesting. It says a lot about my buddy Will too. <laughs> that dirty, oh. dirty bark. <laughs> oh, he's such a dirty bark. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into your MVTs and make or breaks. Uh, I'd be curious MV- what your make or break is because I, I had a hard time picking one. Um, well, my MVT is the just the forthrightness of it. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. straight ahead, hits yeah. the ground running and, and goes. You know, cut to the chase, no bullshit. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside from the, the the sleazier aspects, I mean, that's really the thing about this movie. Because if it wasn't for that, if it was, if it took its time with how inept it is. Uh, it, it would not be nearly the the experience and the and the fun that it is uh, otherwise. Um, my make or break is as cliche as it is. It's the infamous scene uh, at the end because, in my opinion, the, the entirety of the whole movie is just a build up to it. Yeah, and um, it, it it's one fucking hell of a payoff. So <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, that's that's where I would have to put it, man. Um, my score for this is, is a little bit higher than pieces. It's seven point two five out of ten. Nice, nice, yeah. Uh, because it's still, yeah, it's it's still it's one of those movies that you can throw on at uh, in any old time and just get into immediately. You could fall asleep for a half an hour of it, and it doesn't matter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and just wake up and still enjoy you know the shit out of the rest of it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good movie. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, okay, my thoughts on it. Uh, my MVT. Hmm. I'm going to go with Peter Bark. I mean, just because, well, I'm going to justify it by saying the thing we always say. When else am I going to be able to give it to Peter Bark? I mean, I'm never going to probably be able to give it to him again because unless he pops up in something like Expendables 4, uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, Sly, hey, Sly. Uh, <laughs> this machete smells of death. <laughs> Your crazy skull pen smells of blood. <laughs> Your crazy skull pen. 
man. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I'll give it to Peter Bark. I like the location a lot, too, though. I mean, obviously, you know, you kind of blew my mind when you said the Patrick still. I didn't know that. I really didn't. So that was, uh, that makes me want to go back and watch Patrick Still Lives. We gotta, we need to cover that sometime. I thought uh, you guys did for some reason. No, we never covered Patrick or Patrick Still Lives. Not that, oh. I'm, not that I'm aware of. I don't think I talked about it uh, now. Well, I know I know. I wrote about it. Yeah, long, yeah, yeah. And there, there, there could be the possibility that other people have done shows for us, and they may have done it. Hmm. Uh, we've done so many shows now at this point that I often wonder when we're going to – okay, this week, guys, we're picking Cry of a Prostitute, a film, <laughs> a film we've never seen. <laughs> and somebody, you know, somebody sends us a Facebook message like, guys – that's like one of the most famous films you guys have covered. I'm like, oh, oh shit, Will. Yeah, me and Will both be like, dude, I totally forgot. That's <laughs> because that's the way our brains work anymore. Yeah. Um, my make or break, I have to agree with you. Fortunately or unfortunately, this one is all about the payoff. Um, so you have to wait your 85 to 90 minutes to get there. Uh, good thing or bad thing? I don't know. It's, it's going to depend on your taste. And the reason why I say this is I like your I like your score seven point two five. That's that's higher than I thought you'd go with this. Um, my score is a seven point five, and and the reason being is I think Burial Ground kind of stands alone among zombie pictures and zombie movies. Mm-hmm. It's unique enough where I would almost consider it like if I had a top ten zombie list, I'd almost consider it as easily as the one of the top ten because it's just different enough that it really stands out to me. It doesn't. It doesn't have the flash. It doesn't have the craft of uh, Dawn of the Dead or, uh, I don't know, I'm just Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days Later, whatever you want to say. I mean, just whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm just running off zombie movies at this point. Well, no, but it's it's certainly it's certainly distinct enough to be unforgettable yeah. for what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, you, if you show somebody a photo from Burial Ground, they'll look at it and say, hey, Burial Ground. I saw Burial, yeah, I saw Burial Ground when I was roughly 11 or 12 years old, maybe 13, somewhere in that ballpark. I remember that. I never forgot it. I oh, remember. I saw. It, yeah, I saw it that first time, and it never left my brain. The reason being is it's just so odd, just so sleazy, just so bizarre that it it has a staying power. And I think a lot of Bianchi's films, or at least the ones I've seen, tend to be that way. He has this kind of. There's just certain things that certain filmmakers have that either it, – it, it's not that it speaks to you, but it, it's that it stays with you. And yeah. his sleaziness, his uh, – his uh, well, for lack of a better term, his kind of interest in the kind of seedier side of sexuality or uh, sexual deviancy I think uh, makes for uh, interesting uh, conversation, to say the least. So. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah burial ground check it out yeah so it's out there i think synapse is putting out a, a version of it as well maybe maybe it's them. i think they're getting ready to put another version of it or maybe it was no i think it i think it was i think it was them i think uh jeff out on the west coast i think he was telling us the synapse has got it on their release schedule like they're going to do a remaster of it or something maybe put some that's for the america because i should say the 88 films release you got to be uh region free to watch that puppy so well, I, uh, hopefully the Synapse one will be uh, another one of their steel books. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be nice. And uh, I didn't even know it was on Blue Fourth. I didn't know you, you said you had the blue. I didn't. I mean, I didn't even know Media Blasters put one out. Or is that DVD or Blue? Uh, no, it's Blu-ray. Uh, it was Media Blasters when they had their Freak Show label. Wow, I didn't even. I didn't even know. Yep. Well, that one uh, snuck by me. Huh. 
I probably would have picked that up if I'd have known that. I, I didn't Kelly's know. Kelly's going to be yelling at you. Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, yeah, you know what? It's all kind of coming clear now. I remember Kelly talking about Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember because Kelly's post always. Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> That's right. He's not region free, is he? Well, uh, I don't know. Of all I the, know I'm not. Yeah, of all the things Kelly is, he's not region free. Oh no! <laughs> no, actually, you know what? He might be region free. I think he may have. I think he. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of turn about the Blu-ray Viking. So yeah, he'll come at you. Yeah, come at me with some uh, some props, some some more uh, uh, zipper nuts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of Zubaz, though, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, no Zubaz and uh, basketball shorts. Those are that is the beauty of those things. Not only are they comfortable, and you can eat and expand into them. But <laughs> but there's no uh, no threat of uh, being caught by the teeth. No snags. Uh, all right. So, Todd, I want to thank you so much for coming on and helping me out this week. Yeah, my pleasure. Again, guys, Will, is uh, he's just tied up in some things, uh, some personal stuff he's got to take care of. He doesn't feel like he can give 100% to the show right now, so he's kind of just taking a breather. Uh, as you guys know who've listened to the show for a long time, long-time listeners know we are not on our regular schedule as of late. I do promise you, I know we've said this a thousand times, we will get back to it. We just, uh, you know, we've been doing it now for, I think this is going on nine years. That sounds about right. Uh, eight, or, eight or nine years, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, it just, it uh, you know, life changes a lot in that time frame for all of us. So I thank all of you that have stuck around listening to us uh, and still listen to us. I thank all of you that just discovered us. And uh, I, I hope that uh, you will stick around because we don't plan on going anywhere. And with great friends like Todd and, and everybody else around to help us out, we'll we'll get back to it. We'll try to get back to a kind of a normal schedule. Todd's going to be around for a while. Uh, he's always around, but he's going to be around for on the show for definitely for a little while uh, until Will comes back. And then, of course, even when Will comes back, I have to say I'll leave it up to Todd. If he wants to uh, you know, ride the rails with us for a while, uh, the door is always open. He knows that. So. Uh, next week, uh, Todd and I shall return, and we will be doing uh, two Arrow releases. We'll be covering uh, uh, Black Mama, White Mama, uh, which is a uh, Filipino shot. Uh, they call it a black exploitation film, but it's not really. It's more women's in prison films. I don't know why people call it a black exploitation film, but it's maybe because it's got Pam Greer in it. But it really, is, it's a women in prison film. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen it on black exploitation list. I have no. I guess because of the Black Mama, White Mama title. It's very well, evocative, yeah. yeah. Very evocative title, uh, and um, oh, what's the <laughs> Rage Rage of Honor, the uh, Shokazuki film? Okay. So uh, yeah, we'll be uh, covering those next week, and uh, like I said, cool. Todd, I'll get those over to you, and that's where we'll be rolling and going into next. And uh, yeah, I don't really guess there's anything else. Oh yeah, just uh, yeah, check out the Indiegogo campaign. If you made it to this part of the show, we said it at the beginning. I'll say it again at the end. Uh, help Martin, help us out. Uh, he's done a lot of work. You know, he's been in contact with uh, Rappi Films and the guys in Indonesia. They were happy with the final score release. Uh, they'd like to see the Lethal Hunter release. Uh, we'd like to see the Lethal Hunter release, if only to have a better version of Bill Superfoot Wallace with the eagle on his shoulder on uh, digital format. So uh, everybody should have that in their life. Uh, everybody should have more Superfoot Wallace. <laughs> uh, Indeed. But, uh, yeah, there's only one thing left to say, and that is adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com, and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 